This podcast is supported by CoinKite, the one-stop shop for everything you need to secure, use, and express your obsession for Bitcoin. The MK4, a new version of the hugely popular cold card hardware wallet, is out now with lots of new features for helping you to secure your Bitcoin. If you like to keep track of block time or keep track of the SATS USD exchange rate, the Block Clock Mini is the way to do it. And the gang at CoinKite have recently released the Tap Signer, which is an NFC-enabled card which holds a private key, allowing you to separate your keys from your wallets while still allowing for super easy transaction signing. To learn more about all their awesome gear and stay up to date on their new products, visit coinkite.com. Let's do it. There we go. We're live. Fantastic. Uh, Craig, how you doing? So far, so good, you know? It's another day on the homestead. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for joining me. This is going to be a little bit of a weird video to watch, at least. The people listening to the audio won't uh, think it's weird, but you're uh, keeping your identity private, and I certainly respect that. So we'll just have a... Uh, back and forth today where my video is the only one showing but um you know perhaps to get this started off why don't you uh introduce yourself to me and anyone who's listening sure uh well my name's craig um a homesteader permaculture homeschooling crazy person <laughs> up here in the northeast so the uh the leaves are already starting to change colors so the homesteading stuff comes to an end here in a couple of months but uh homeschooling just kicked off uh two weeks ago so out of one thing and into the next Cool. So yeah, I mean, this is a, a topic that I know, well, I'm very interested in. I know a lot of Bitcoiners are interested in kind of sovereignty and independence uh, in many areas of their life, you know, perhaps starting with financial sovereignty as being one of the most important and then looking around your life and saying, well, what other, what other areas am I overly dependent on something external to myself? And do I want to establish a greater degree of sovereignty over it? And I think that's that sort of mentality is causing a lot of people to look at, you know, having more food sovereignty, having, you know, more space to do what they want, you know, in, in terms of the, where they're living. Of course, if they have children, maybe wanting them not to be subject to the industrial state education system and wanting to inculcate in them a different set of values and different education of various kinds. And so I think, you know, for those reasons and, and, and likely a lot more, uh, these subjects are becoming of increasing interest to, uh, you know, our crowd. So uh, maybe you can just tell me, like, was it Bitcoin first or was it these things first for you that, you know, which one came first? Well, uh, I've always been a bit of a pain in the ass. So uh, <laughs> that's kind of my history. Um, if if somebody ever, ever put up a rule and said, this is a hard and fast rule, I always try to find a way around it um, just because... Amen. If, if there's if there's a rule that says you can't do a thing and it doesn't seem like it's hurting anybody, eh, well, is it really that much of a rule or is it more of a suggestion? And will people get that mad if you break it? So uh, ever, ever since I was like a little kid, that was always the way. It's like, how much homework do I need to do? That was my big thing in school. Right. Um, so in elementary school, you know, you get a you get an hour's worth of homework. In middle school, they were giving me four hours up to four hours of homework in a day. And so Jesus. I, I kind of came up with this thought in my head, like, I don't want to go ride my bike. I want to do other things. Um, I don't want to be doing all this homework. So rather than do the homework, I found ways around it. Uh, some very interesting ways. Um, in some cases I had to get very crafty with the mail system because, you know, teachers would send home notes and that was, that was going to be a problem. So <laughs> I had to intercept <laughs> those. 
<laughs> stuff like that. But I found my way through, right? So uh, that's my mentality when it comes to um, the, the schooling thing, at least we can start there, is, yeah. well, why stress a kid out with an overwhelming amount of work when what you're really trying to get out of is an education? Um, in my experience with kids, at least, you know, going through the school system and doing the homeschooling thing that I do now is every kid is very different and everybody has a different way of learning and putting everybody into one box and sitting them in a chair and saying for the next seven hours, for the next five days, for the next 180 days of the school year, this is what we're going to do. And I saw kids struggle when they didn't need to. And I was one of those kids. So mm -hmm. I kind of, it was always in the back of my head, like, man, what can I do to just avoid as much of this bullshit as possible? And I found my ways and they weren't always successful. And I caught a couple of whoopings on account of maybe overdoing it a little bit, but I made my way through, graduated college. And at that point had this idea in my head that hey, if I ever have kids, it'd be an interesting way to see if I can not have them go through those same stress, uh, stresses and struggles. So that was where I kind of got the start with the, the homeschooling. So, so to answer your question, homeschooling came first then came permaculture, then came Bitcoin. Interesting. Yeah, I, um, you know, as you're saying that, I, I can relate a lot. And I'm sure we all can because, you know, the, the educational system in most places is not set up for, you know, customization and for accounting for the different idiosyncrasies and interests and curiosities and demeanors and uh, temperaments of, of broad variety of individuals you know it's like you know cookie cutter approach everyone goes through through the same meat grinder and some it's compatible to a certain degree with some and it's incompatible with others and you sink or swim based on that effectively you know and it's so education has always been um you know i was very much the same right i was like this is bullshit you know you think of it, it's such a you wonder why so many kids check out you know like as you said you stuff them in a classroom in an uncomfortable chair for eight, nine hours a day, and you you force feed them stuff that they may not be curious about, much of which is not going to really contribute to their intellectual development, nor have that much real world application. And so, of, of course, any sensible, rational, thoughtful child is just going to say, why am I doing this? this? This is pointless. And they're going to check out and go in down other avenues, perhaps. And if there's not, first of all, if that child is not necessarily like you know, doesn't take much initiative with finding another productive path to go down, right? Like another intellectual pursuit to pursue instead of that, you know, then they might go down destructive pathways. And of course, we see that a lot in, in the world today. And, you know, I just, I often reflect on the, the circumstance of we feed children crap, right? You know, before they're sent off to school, they're eating Cheerios and Fruit Loops and, you know, uh, high fructose corn syrup bullshit. And then we, we put them in a a, an environment where it's physically uncomfortable, it's not intellectually stimulating. And then when they react negatively to that, as expected, we drug them up and, and suggest that it's a problem that they have, not a problem of the circumstance and the environment we're putting them in. It's so completely broken. And I, th this is part of the reason why I'm interested in people that are doing homeschooling and exploring other uh, methods and avenues of education and why I'm super excited for the types of education that are going to be available to kids um, as we move into a Bitcoin standard, as we move into an era where people have more capacity and interest and motivation uh, for different forms of education, providing them, get, accessing them for their children and all that kind of stuff. So that's part of my motivation for speaking with people like yourself. But 
um, yeah, tell me about the, the, the permaculture aspect of things. All right. Well, uh, I, uh, so I don't know what it was. I had, I had, had been, I had had an injury at work and was put out of work for three to six months was the, the prognosis after I had had surgery on my arm and I just kind of fell into this spot. I was like, what, what am I going to do while I'm all jammed up and I only got one arm to use? And I've always, I've always been interested in gardening. I had a little garden when I was a kid, you know, tomatoes, cucumbers, that sort of thing. But it was like a little 20 by 10 spot behind, you know, I grew up in a mobile home park so that we didn't have a lot of room. Um, but, you know, the kids, we all ran the neighborhoods and everybody had a little backyard garden. And I was always that kid that was Hey, check out this little bee over here. Look at this little bug. Look what I found. And that was, we we're always just kind of running around experimenting and figuring out, oh, what is this thing? But when I was a kid, there was no internet. So it was like, oh, did you know that this bug can kill you if you look at it the wrong way? Like kids had little rumors <laughs> of stuff, you know? It's like, and I was always fascinated with all this stuff. I spent all my time when I was a kid in nature, running around the woods, fishing, hunting, you know, just, you know, flipping over rocks. What the hell's under the rock, right? That kind awesome. of stuff. Awesome. So it's always, always been my mentality. So when I had this injury, I was basically, I was, I was stuck with a summer with essentially nothing to do except collect a, collect a check and busy myself with one arm. Right. So, you know, you can figure out, you know, there's only a few things you can do. So I decided, well, I'm going to, I'm going to start another little garden, but where I was, it wasn't really like a thing that could work out for the long term. I was renting. So I said, well, let me put in a little time doing some research. And I stumbled across this term permaculture. And I was like, well, what the hell is this? And it seemed to align more with my mentality of doing things like uh, we're going to take a wild approach um, for a, a, and, and develop a system that's permanent. It doesn't require any real inputs that will sustain itself for presumably forever. I was like, well, tell me more. Um, and so that, that got me started. And then once I uh, resolved all the, the health issues and everything else, turns out one of the things that happens when you got nothing but a bunch of time is your wife gets pregnant. So, hmm. <laughs> so we had a little one on the way. And my thought process at that point was, well, we're going to really get to square my shit up. And, you know, some, uh, some period after he was born, the financial crisis happened, right? So it was like, boom, I got a baby. I don't have a house and everything just went to shit. And I thought, well, now's, now's the time, right? I had some money saved and I thought, well, if I'm going to pull the trigger on buying a house or buying a piece of property, you're not going to get a better rate than, you know, if you've got good credit and you've got some money in the bank, they were practically giving houses away at that point, right after, you know, once the dust had settled. Right. So I, I bought a house, we got, you know, almost 10 acres of land and it's like the perfect place to kind of pull one of these permaculture stunts at. So I just got to digging. I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to dig while the kids nap. I'm going to dig. I'm going to make swales. I'm going to plant trees. And it just kind of started. And before you knew it, I was like spending all of my time, you know, whenever I wasn't dealing with the kids, I was digging a hole, planting a tree, building a swale, whatever it was that I was doing. And I was obsessed so it just kind of took off from there. And like, here I am, what, 12 years later, something like that. And I got more food than I know what to do with. <laughs> That's awesome. So that was, go ahead. Yeah. I was just going to say, I mean, I guess there's many different ways to approach permaculture or it's a broad term that can potentially encompass a lot of different 
approaches and growing different things and finding different harmonies and stuff like that. So in your, you know, what you've built for yourself, is this like all plants or are there animals? And is this something that you live completely off of, you know, more or less, you don't rely on any other sources for food? Like, can you, can you clarify that for me a little bit? Sure. Um, well, what, what I started with was, you know, you start with plants, right? So my, my first big project was to build a food forest. Um, so that's, you know, perennial plants, right? So I got a lot of herbs and root, vet, you know, root crops, stuff that's going to last, you know, that it produces year after year. I planted in a bunch of trees and I'll give you an idea as to how easy this was. I did it with a spade shovel and like a thousand bucks. That's how I got started. It was like, I got a shovel and I've got, you know, we had a little bit of money. So I said to the wife, I said, Hey, what would you think about me planting a bunch of trees? She said, how many trees? I said, well, let's just come up with a budget first. And my proposed budget was more than a thousand dollars. And we eventually agreed on a thousand bucks. It was probably a good place to start because I don't know what the hell I'm doing. So, and I went down to the nursery and it just happened to be the right time of year. And I bought a bunch of apple trees. I bought, uh, Let's see what else we got. Uh, apple trees. I got walnuts. I got chestnuts, hazelnuts, all kinds of um, other fruit trees, raspberries, blueberries, blackberries, a bunch of weird stuff that no one's ever heard of. I just went to the I went to the place and I was like, what else can I buy? I've got five bucks left, you know, that sort of thing. And I right. just went I just went crazy with it. I brought all these boxes and bags home. Um, I had taken my son with me and we bought some, you know, we've got some grapes and some other things. And um I just got busy planting, planting trees. And so we had the trees and we had uh, the nut shrubs and the, the cane fruit and the, the, you know, cherries and all kinds of stuff that I had bought. And I planted it all in. And in the first year, you, you don't do anything with it. You just kind of plant it, water it, mulch it, and you hope that some of it survives. Um, so in the meantime, I turned to my wife and I said, how about chickens? And she was like, what do you mean chickens? You know, we got two kids we got all this other stuff going on. You just bought, you know, essentially a food forest. Uh, why don't we wait? And I said, well, if we get the chickens now, that'll give me time. And so I'm like kind of always conning my way into my next project. I'm like, but, but if, if I don't have anything to do, then I'm just going to sit around. And so like, well, let's start with some chickens. So she said, okay, we'll get some chickens. So um, first, the first time I went down and to the, the farm supply store, I bought 10 chickens. And then, then three days later, I bought 25 more because... <laughs> that's the kind of person I am. <laughs> and so we added chickens and we've had actually one of those chickens is still kicking along. She's 12 years. I think she's, no, she's coming up on 11 years old now. Wow. So why, she's crazy. That bird. <laughs> um, but you know, so we, we started chickens and the chickens helped out in the food forest. They eat the bugs, they eat the grubs, you know, you scatter a little bit of feed for them and they kind of clean things up. They scratch around They you know, they do a little bit of weeding and it turns out that they, they'd lay eggs and that became, you know, with 30, what, 35 chickens? It was kind of like 30 eggs a day, and that was a little too much, so we had to start selling eggs. And it turns out, with this whole permaculture thing, if you have a problem, if you have a surplus, the, like the, the answer's right in front of your face. Well, just sell the eggs, and then you can you know, bring in some money so you can buy ducks. <laughs> and so like, that was the process. I just, every time, I would go a little bit overboard with the project, and then I'd have a surplus, and then I'd turn that surplus into something so I could start my next project. And it just kind of snowballed from there. So right now we've got chickens, pigs. In the past, I've had ducks. I've got rabbits. We raise rabbits for meat. 
um, and for pet sales and stuff like that. So, and it's, you know, every year I'm always adding into the thing. So it's, it's busy around here. And to, to the question of uh, how much do I produce? I, we produce all of our own fruit. So I don't have to buy fruit unless I want something that I can't grow here. Um, as a matter of fact, my kids are outside right now picking apples and I'm expecting something in the neighborhood of a hundred pounds of apples a day for the next month. Wow. So most of those go to the pigs. So that's, you know, free food. So <laughs> we call it apple bacon. Right. 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 Uh, so and like, no cows. Is there a particular nah, reason for that? Yeah. I can't do the, the, the piece of land that I've got doesn't really fit with a cow. It's on a hillside and with, I have concerns about erosion and stuff like that. When I first moved in, it was a, it was an old hay field. So it was, the soil was pretty well degraded. And so I've spent right. the last 10 or so years basically just doing as much as I can to just keep feeding that soil. And so I've in the past, I've, I've had a goat. We had a goat for a short minute, but that, that was not a good, that was not a good fit. That goat drove my dog nuts. And so the goat, <laughs> wow. the goat went back home. Well, I have a Maremma. He's a sheepdog, right? So yeah. like a like a livestock guardian dog, and he he owns everything that goes outside. So for him, his chick, those chickens are his chickens. Those rabbits are his rabbits. You know, those pigs are his pigs. Uh, my kids are his kids. So if my kids like they get running off, he'll he'll chase after them and he'll make sure that they stay in the yard. I don't have to fence the kids in. The dog does that job for me. Oh, that's um, awesome. But, but as goats, as goats go, they're great at mowing things. And I thought, well, I, get, I can get this goat to kind of mow the field a little for me and kind of prune back some of these trees and stuff. But the goat was, you know, as they do, they butt heads, right? So right. Uh, I didn't want my dog getting a concussion or anything didn't like that. Didn't get along with the dog. No, the dog wants, you know, dogs want to play and they get down on, you know, they get down on their paws and they use bark and he's a loud dog. And uh, the goat wasn't having it. And he took a run, the goat took a run at my dog one time and damn near KO'd him. So I was like, eh, maybe not goat. <laughs> um, but I'd like to try it again if I could fence the goats. Right. And so you talked with somebody about sheep because I think I could probably pull it off with a couple of sheep, but it requires fencing. Right. And to, fen to fence a hillside is kind of a pain in the ass. Mm. So the, the question regarding like food independence, I assume you just source meat elsewhere and for most of your other needs you're they're kind of well met by the current operation yeah um so i do have to i mean if i'm if i'm eating beef we, we have to buy that in and usually i'd like to try to buy like a half a cow a year but a lot of times it's just hey man i gotta hit the grocery store because it's i don't really have a lot of freezer space at this moment mm -hmm. uh, but we eat quite a lot of rabbit rabbit turns out that you know they they fuck like rabbits um <laughs> and so you kind of end up with a lot of them pretty quick right uh, and i realize you know a lot of people's you know talk about well rabbits aren't all that great but you know for a little animal that's you know it's it's basically meat um on on four legs and you can just take them when you want them so i don't have to worry about storing them you know in a freezer i think one of the things with having a cow uh even if i could pull it off um it's you know it's a two-year growth process and because i'm way up north i gotta feed a lot of hay if i were to do that mm. i've only got i've only got grass from like late, late May into like early October. So I've got, I'd have to feed a lot of hay, right. which would make it kind of cost prohibitive. Mm -hmm. um, so the, the rabbits do a pretty good job with that. And every couple of years I raise out a couple of pigs. So my, my pork and my rabbit stuff, which I kind of substitute rabbit for chicken. Cause once you have chickens and they're laying eggs, it's like, eh, let the chickens do the, the egg laying thing. And I'm not gonna, we've eaten a couple, but compared to rabbit, it's just, I'd rather not. The rabbits were yeah. better. 
Yeah. Really? Oh yeah. Way better. Yeah. Like it's taste a, wise, you mean? Taste wise. Um, it's got a higher, higher amount of protein, way easier to clean, no special equipment. Um, if I were to go outside right now, I could have a rabbit on my cutting board in the house in less than five minutes. Really? Yeah. They're amazing. How, how so? Like how, how do you skin it? I've got a little rig out back, um, on the backside of their hutch. And basically it's just two screws that are like drilled into a two by six board. And you basically, I don't know how graphic you want me to get, but it's, you do what's well, you might as well. <laughs> we do call it a, a cervical dislocation. So basically you hold the rabbit by its back feet you uh, with one hand and you hold its head with your other hand and you basically just bend and pull the neck snaps pretty quickly. Um, you know, it's kind of a quick, you're out. Um, and then from there we hang them up and then you just cut the head off with a knife. And then you just, uh, basically you cut around the fur on the, the back legs and you can just pull it down. Like, like you're pulling off a wet sock. Right. And then after that, the guts come out, livers, kidneys, heart, lungs, that goes into a bin for the dog, uh, cook that up for the dog. And then the rest of it's all basically clean white meat, ready to go. Wow. Had you, had you grown up around any of this or was this all brand new when you started, you know, buying the first apple trees and stuff? Uh, well, like, like I said, I did done a little bit of like regular gardening as a kid and I ran a yeah. landscaping business for a while. So I was pretty familiar with, you know, mulching and all these sorts of things. I did spend quite a lot of time in the woods hunting as a kid as well. So I'm, I'm familiar, right. I've done some deer hunting and, you know, we've dispatched, I had a guy uh, I worked with in Pennsylvania for a while where I would, uh, he had a, a, a dairy barn and he had a problem with uh, pigeons. So I'd shoot a lot of pigeons and then we, you know, breast those out and stuff. So, right. And with fishing and everything else. So I'm, I'm no stranger ever since I was like a little kid to dispatching an animal. So that despite, you know, it's still, I still say my prayers and I go, I'm sorry about this. This is going to suck for about eight seconds, but you'll be, you know, <laughs> you'll be on the other side soon. <laughs> right. So, right. Um, that's yeah, a big that's thing I, too. It's like staying respectful of it and just not, you know, never trying, never making it a, never making it a chore, um, make it something that you appreciate. I think that's a big important thing with the permaculture thing. So, yeah, totally. So, I mean, this has turned in, you know, again, from a few apple trees to, you know, kind of a going concern now that's, uh, at least greatly contributing to your sustenance and all the while, while you're kind of fostering an equilibrium or harmony and rejuvenation of the environment that, uh, that you're in, like your land. Um, you know, what are your, what are your thoughts about this whole thing? Like, has it changed your impression or perspective on land, on nature, on how all this stuff fits together? Has it changed your, your perspective on health? Has it changed your perspective on, you know, like what, what's kind of the, the, the big takeaways after you've been doing this for over a decade? For me, I think the, the thing is that I'm always finding something new um, as far as like interconnectedness. Right. There's it's kind of almost like and I'm sure we'll probably get there. But like with Bitcoin, it, it hits in so many different places that you wouldn't expect it to pop up. Right. You don't mm -hmm. you, like when you first kind of start reading or learning or watching or listening, you go like, what the hell is going on here? But it seems <laughs> to be working for people. Right. So with permaculture, it's it's that sort of mentality. It's like. All right, so I get the I get the food forest going, I get the regular garden going. Great, that's fruit and vegetables, and I don't have to worry about the fruit because that'll just keep growing every year. And as far as the annual stuff, I plant that every year. And and then you've got animals, and then well, oh, what am I going to do with? I've got a pile of manure. Well, that's fertilizer. Well, I've got all this bedding. Well, that's mulch. And then everything just connects to another thing. And so 
for me, the biggest, the biggest takeaway is even after 10 years of this, 12 years, and then, you know, essentially my entire life with, you know, nature stuff, it's all so connected and it's hard to figure out, like, is there an end to this? Like, where does it, where does the whole thing come together where you go, I finally finished it. (laughs) You know, like when, when I was a kid, when the internet was first a thing, you could finish the internet, right? Like you could, you could like go online. You visited the last page. Well done. I finished the, like, I remember it came with a book, like a phone book. (laughs) I was like, oh, Pepsi.com, huh? What's that all about? Right. So, but like, it's, it's, it's not, it's not that way now. And you couldn't, you couldn't finish it in a million lifetimes. Right. Cause you could do a million lifetimes a million times and you'd still never get, even if you just started with what we have today, you'd never finish it all. Mm-hmm. And the same thing goes with permaculture. So I'm always learning something new. Every time I think I've got my system figured out, nature throws a curveball, And it's to me, I always laugh. So I'll be outside and I'm looking at something, laughing my ass off. And I'll hear somebody from inside the house. Go, what the hell are you laughing at? And I'm like, it never dawned on me that this could happen. You know, like, I couldn't give a great example off the bat, but there's like goofy little things that happen, right? Like I never, I never thought, okay, I'll give you, actually, I'll give you an example with, um, with the goat. Oh no, actually I'll give you an example with the pigs. So like five years ago, I was raising out this this batch of pigs and I'd gone up and they're inside of electric net fencing. And so I turned the electric fence off. I go inside and I'm feeding the pigs and you know, here's an apple for you. Here's an apple for you. Kind of checking on condition. I put the bucket down and the bucket was already empty. had nothing, nothing in the bucket, but a regular five gallon bucket, right? So it's got that little metal handle on it. So I'm talking to this pig like an idiot. And then I hear this noise behind me, like shaking and screaming pig. And I'm like, what the hell is this? I turn around, the pig had stuck its head in the bucket and wrapped the metal loop around its chin. So it was stuck in the bucket and it's running around in circles trying to get the bucket off and it's just screaming. And I was like, I would have never thought that a pig could do that like and never you wouldn't think that that interaction could happen mm. like, holy right now all of a sudden i've got a 200 pound animal with a five gallon bucket stuck on its head and it's pissed mm-hmm. what am i going to do about that <laughs> so that was you know it was an adventure but i'm out there laughing my ass off because it's kind of funny and we resolved the issue and it's like all right moving on to the next thing and there's millions of things like that that have happened in the last 10 years right <laughs> yeah i imagine it must be cool because I mean, we're so in my, like, you know, if you're a modern city dweller, let's say, or even like, you know, anyone who's not basically doing your, what you're doing, we're so detached from, you know, the cycles of the seasons and the natural world and how it all comes together. But I can imagine being so up close and personal with it. Like one, you're confronted with the chaos of it all, as you just described, like all this crazy shit that happens, but simultaneously you're confronted with how it harmonizes together, right? Like how it all kind of gels if you put the ple- the pieces together properly, or at least it gels sufficiently to uh, be able to manage the chaos. At least that's my impression from speaking with other people like yourself that have been doing this. I mean, is that is has that been your impression as well? Yeah, for the most part, it's like the peace comes when things work. And then the, when there's chaos, it, it provides like a new thing to think about. So I'll spend time, you know, at night, after everything's shut down, everybody's fed, everybody's got their water, shelters are locked down. And I'll think, what, what is a thing that I could do to make the system better? And then if I implemented that thing, could I inadvertently make this worse? Right. Right. So um, 
if I if I plant this particular crop this year, or if I raise this particular animal and the weather goes to dog shit on me, what things could you know what could be my hangups? Um, but it's it's always something that um you're always learning, and so you're always kind of on your toes. I'm always looking out a window if I'm inside, like today, and I'm like looking. I've got you know a grape arbor that's basically full of grapes that are going to be ripe in a couple of days. Like and I'm like waiting on it, kind of waiting and waiting and waiting. And then the birds show up and then you've got a blue jay sitting on the railing, looking at the grapes going, can I have one of these? <laughs> you can have one. And then you have two blue jays and then it's like, can we have one each? And then before you know it, you know, so it's, right. there's always these crazy little things that happen. It's essentially it's magic. And what makes it even better is like raising kids in it because my kids essentially grew up with, this system and they've grown with it so when uh let's say my son was two um all of our fruit trees weren't you know they weren't bearing any fruit um maybe like the first year the first year maybe maybe one thing like the raspberries did a little something right it's like mm. but you take that kid out and he helped plant the raspberries these little you know at the time it's like a little ball of dirt with some roots sticking out of it and he's like oh, what are we doing you know hey dad why this like don't worry Come September, you're going to appreciate this. And then they watch the things grow up. And then it's like, can I go outside and pick the raspberries, dad? <laughs> you know, it's like, before you know it, they're like, they're disappearing into the food forest and they come back full with their arms full of food. And it's like, that's magic to me. It's like, man, yeah, that must be so cool. Just to, just to watch them plow through stuff. And that's another thing, right? It's like, if you, if you've got you got little ones or i mean anytime you start i feel like it's just as amazing to me as it is to my kids they you know they see the flowers bloom in the springtime and then they watch the fruit set and then they watch the fruit ripen and then you're all sitting there wait, waiting you know as each tree kind of comes to fruit and they don't all fruit at the same time right so like when i planted my I've, i planted five apple trees and we've probably got like 25 more that were already here um but to watch, like, to watch the kids sit there and be like, is it almost ready? Is it almost ready? And you, you look, it looks ready and you try it and it's not quite ready. Ah, shitty apple, right? And they pitch right. it and then it's like, oh, well, you know, what do we do with the shitty apples? Well, give them to the chickens. Chickens like them, great. And then, so there's like this, like, there's, they're learning as they're growing. If you have something you don't want to eat, they'll eat it. And if they won't eat it, the worms will eat it. And then the chickens will eat the worms and then I still get eggs. And so they, they start putting it all together. And before you know it, I send them out and they come back to, they report to me what's right, what's ready, what they need. So, you know, like this afternoon, I said, Hey guys, uh, we need to, you know, we got to pick apples. We got to pick raspberries. Grapes are starting to get on, you know, there's all these things coming to fruit and it's like, they know how to handle it now. So I don't have to, I don't have to even tell them what to do. It's like, here's a bowl, here's a bag, handle it. And yeah. they do. And then they're responsible for their own food. And then snack time gets way easier that way. Yeah, that's so <laughs> cool, man. You know, and, and most of us have probably had some kind of experience, like, you know, whether it's you're out foraging blueberries or mushrooms and you eat those, or maybe you've got a small, tiny little like home garden and you eat that stuff. But like the fruit or the food that you're the one that's tending, you're the one that's cultivating, you're the one that's like making sure it comes to fruition uh, it just tastes better, you know, like it, it, that relationship that you've established with it, maybe it's a sense of gratitude, or maybe it's just a sense of appreciation or whatever. But like, it just, it almost, it, it always seems to be the case that like, the closer you are to it, the more you've put into it, you know, and you know, you reap what you sow, perhaps. So the more you put into it, the more 
you seem to get out of it in terms of like the pleasure of the taste of the fruit or whatever, rather than just like you're in the grocery store, you grab something off the shelf or out of the, you know, the fresh counter where the produce is or whatever, and you get home and you eat it. And it's just like, it's just so monotonous. It's so routine. But when like, when you're there every step of the way, and as you say, like you're waiting, like is today the day we can harvest it? No, it's not ready yet. It's today. They know not, not ready yet. And when it's finally ready and you eat it, you're like, Oh, that is so fucking good. You know, I got to, I got to imagine that's pretty awesome. I've, I've only it experienced is. it in, in, in bursts, not, not on your scale. Well, it, it is one of those amazing things. And the, the great thing about doing the, the permaculture side of things or doing it, at least in this way, is that we, we do like succession planting. So again, like all, of the five apple trees that I planted, when I started with it, I thought, well, I don't want them all ripening at the same time, right? Because what am I going to do with five trees? You know, if each tree in, after five years, if they're putting out a couple of hundred pounds of apples each, I can't deal with a thousand pounds of apples in one day. Mm. So I planted an early or a late summer apple, an early fall, a mid fall, a late fall and an early winter apple. And now, you know, from the end of like August all the way through sometimes into December, I'm getting apples and it's always a different variety. So, you know, I, I tell the kids, well, keep an eye on the on the summer trees because they're getting close and we don't even have to worry about the, that winter tree. It's like, it's months away before we have to worry about that. But there's all these little things that are in between, right? Raspberries, cherries, grapes, uh, hazelnuts. Uh, we've got our first, we're going to get our first harvest of uh, chestnuts this year, right? So that's another thing when you're talking about stacking stuff through time. I planted those chestnut trees 10, 11 years ago. They, they, you know, they were like these teeny tiny little sticks. And I don't know if you know much about chestnuts, but like there used to be a shitload of them. And then the European chest, chestnut blight came to the United States and it wiped out a good majority of the American chestnuts. Um, so there was, there's only like, I don't know, uh, they say a few that live, you know, in the wild and people have gone out and they've harvested those nuts off those trees. And they've been trying to find a chestnut, an American chestnut that will deal with this blight and not die. So when I went to the the nursery, I, I was talking to the guy and I said, what's the deal with the chestnuts? And he said, well, there's the ones that we've planted from, from this stock have been pretty hardy. He's like, if you, if you plant them and they last five years, they'll probably last forever, which is, you know, it's a gamble, right? It's like, you're going to spend mm -hmm. 20 bucks on this tree. It's like a stick. You got to find a place for it, but you can't treat it as if it's a, a stick that's only going to last maybe five years. You got to treat it like this is going to be a giant tree that's like, 60 feet tall, 50 feet wide that, you know, you got to plant it, but you got to make room for the damn thing all the while knowing that it might not last anyway. So it's like, a, it's a big plan. And here we are again, like I said, 10, 11 years later, and it's, it's got nuts on it. <laughs> it's like, they're way up at the top of the tree. And I'm like, finally, you know, <laughs> like you see, you see them up there and you're like, oh man, I can't wait. Just And then, you know, and I'm, I'm fully expecting if there's maybe 50 nuts on each tree and there's only a couple of them, what if the squirrels get to them first, right? That thing can right, hit the ground right. and that squirrel could be right there and boom, they're gone. So, but that they, that they've lasted, I'm, I'm pumped, but that I might still not get them after all this. I have to accept. Right. Right. That's, That's the so thing, right? There's like this humility that goes with it too, right? You have to kind of, you know, all right, I planted it. I grew it. I mulched it. I cared for it. I didn't let anything kill it or run it over. Or, you know, I didn't, I didn't let the deer jack up the, the, the side of the tree, you know, I, I've taken all this care and finally I'm getting fruit and then it's gone. Right. God, right. All, all, all this care and effort, but maybe the rewards won't be mine. 
Yeah. I have and to this, accept that. Yeah, exactly. And, the, the, you know, that's kind of one of those things that goes, you know, it's one of the kind of, I don't know if you want to call it an ethic or just one of the principles of permaculture is that, you know, you're going to have to share with nature whether you like it or not. So how much do you want to share and should you plant a little extra? So, yeah. I, see, every year, I, certain things do better than others. And so like this last year, my, my sour cherries didn't do anything, but they provided like 40 quarts of cherries last year. So should I be mad that they didn't produce this year? I got 40 quarts last year. I mean, how many cherries are you going to eat? Right. So yeah. yeah, take a year off. I'll catch up with you next year. But my sweet, <laughs> my sweet cherry tree, it did produce fruit, but because the, the sour cherries weren't there at the same time, the squirrels, like squirrels, every kind of songbird you can imagine, they just, they sit in the tree and they eat a half a cherry and then they move to the next cherry and eat half of that one and eat the half of the next one. And you're sitting there looking at it like, guys, <laughs> just leave me some, <laughs> you know, this year, if I got a handful out of like what would have been 10 pounds of cherries, but you know, it's like, that's the, that's the, that's the cycle nature kind of works with. So it's like, if you've got a lot of cherries, you're going to get some for yourself, but if one tree produces but the other three or five trees don't you're going to be contending with the birds so you might want to plant some other stuff too yeah you know i th i think that's such a great and fascinating and often overlooked point regarding our kind of quote unquote progress that has led many of us to be disconnected with the the source of our food and and the way in which nature works and all that kind of stuff because when you when you interact with it on that level it it there's an incentive or it, it almost forces you it forces an ethic upon you like you were just saying like if you don't it's going to humble you it's going to make sure that you are it, it's going to impo uh, impress upon you the importance of patience on the on the importance of you know um accepting that you're not always going to get everything that you want, that all the work that you put into it is not necessarily going to accrue to you in terms of reward. Like these are all genuine ethics that the relationship that you constitute between yourself and the earth and, and nature is instilling in you via that relationship. And if you're removed entirely from that and you're not being instilled with that, and instead everything is just at your fingertips when you want it, how you want it, there's, you don't have to, you know, there's, no element of sacrifice, there's no element of patience, no element of humility. It's all just there at your fingertips whenever you want it. Well, that's a very real uh, change in in how a, an individual develops because their different values, different ethics are being instilled in them through different experiences. And so, you know, on that level, because we often criticize, you know, fiat culture and all this kind of stuff in Bitcoin land. I mean, it's very it's very reasonable or very apparent or very like, it's very easy to see why at least in part we would have, you know, our, our shifting value sets and ethics have shifted as a result of, you know, modernity, broadly speaking, and being disconnected from the very real ethics that are typically, or have been for most of our history imbued and instilled in people as a result of that relationship that they necessarily had to constitute between themselves and the natural world. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this goes right back into the homeschooling thing. Uh, how you get in, you get out of it, what you put into it. Um, so in the same way that, you know, uh, I could take the easy route and go to the grocery store and just buy this food. Mm. It's, you know, the money's not an issue, right? It's like, I can just go get it, right? It's provided it's there, right? Provided that it's there. Um, and this, I could do the same thing with school. I could 
I could put my kids on a bus. I could send them down the road. And, you know, uh, what would I get for it, right? I'd get, well, I'd get seven hours of my day that I could just do whatever I want to do, right? I could get a job, um, which, ooh, uh, I'm not doing that shit. Uh, <laughs> I've got enough going on. But, or, you can, or you can take it into your own hands and just say like, okay, well, uh, look, what, is it, what does it take to plant a tree, right? Like you dig a hole, you put some fertilizer in it, some compost, some manure, whatever it's going to be, put the tree in there and just make sure it's watered. Presuming everything else goes smoothly, it'll fruit, it'll do its thing. And the, the, the same basic principle applies to the education of a child. Um, if you take it into your own hands, you're there all the time. You're watching that child as they learn. You're learning how they learn, mm-hmm. right? So my two kids are completely different learners. Um, I've got one that's wicked analytical, and I've got one that's like free-spirited, just like show me something interesting and then leave me alone, right? Mm-hmm. Like that sort of thing, right? It's like they're two different education styles. If I and if what am I supposed to take a gamble? Like this was the the kind of the argument that I made when we first started considering homeschooling because it wasn't really like I was for sure going to do this, right? Like me and my wife, we you have to have this conversation, right? Like what's best for the kids and how does that impact your life? And what are you going to do if it doesn't work? What are you going to do when you can't teach a subject? Well, okay, we'll get there when we get there, right? But like from the ages of zero until 10, like all you have to do is teach them how to read, which if you can read, you can teach somebody how to read Mm. for the most part. Um, As far as math is concerned, what do you like addition, subtraction, multiplication, division, and some basic other functions like it's not I mean it's not that difficult if you've if you've made it through high school presume like if you've made it through high school presumably you can teach elementary school I mean (laughs) you've got eight years experience being a middle schooler or a high schooler right right so my thought process and you know my wife and I talked about this like I'll give you a just a, a a brief how we got there um my son was, you know, getting ready to get to school age and we were looking at, okay, what are our options? Well, there's the public school, there's a private Montessori school type thing. And there's like, there's some other interesting type schools that are around our area that are kind of like niche little interesting things. Um, and the state is great about the homeschooling thing. They're like, as long as you take it upon yourself and submit the paperwork saying essentially that you're doing it, we'll have somebody check in with you just to make sure that you're just not some crazy person living in a in a, in a hole somewhere, you know, just trying to keep your kids out of the, out of the spotlight, you know, we'll let you kind of do your thing. And so, uh, I first, we first looked at this, one of these little interesting kind of niche schools and it was kind of lackluster. It was, well, we just kind of let the kids do their thing, but we don't, we don't really involve them. We'll, we'll read to them, but we don't ask them to read back to us. Uh, if they want to do math, we let them, but we don't force it. Uh, so it was kind of like, is this daycare or is this school, right? Uh, at least for me, that was like, if I'm sending you and I'm paying for this to happen, like my kids should come home with an education of some sort. So I was kind of yeah. eh, out on that. It was a lot of, you know, for as much as I'm pumped about the whole permaculture thing, there is a little bit of cult in permaculture. Um, and it was kind of one of those, one of those sort of, cult, of things. A little bit of cult in everything. Yes, exactly. Yeah, there's there's always that side niche that shows up once something gets popular enough, and they want to turn it into a religion, mm-hmm. um, which I'm not against, but not for me. Um, so I said, well, like, okay, well, let's check out this Montessori school thing, and it was 
kind of a lot of the same. It was a lot of like really soft kids. Like we, you know, we went to, went to the open house and it was a lot of doughy looking kids that didn't look like they ever saw the sunshine <laughs> and the teachers, you ever get a handshake from somebody and it seems like they just handed you a wet clam. Of you know course. what I mean? It's just like, ugh, ugh, come on. Like I'm here. I'm trying to like, just jump. Like I can get put off by stuff like that. I'm like, eh, oh, me nope. too, man. Me too. When I, I met a pediatrician one time and I, I was like, hi, nice to meet you. I put my hand out and she, she, like, I don't, I don't know what she was doing, but she kind of clawed the palm of my hand. Like, I don't even know what she kind of almost like pinched the palm of my hand with her hand. I was like, Oh no, this is not our pediatrician. That is not happening. <laughs> we're not doing this. And I said, we're getting out of here right now. So you find, you know, you, you find what works for you. So the last option was, well, let's check the, the local public school. And the day before we had to go to the open house, the teacher that would have been my son's homeroom teacher was arrested because she was swerving all over the road high on Oxycontin. Holy shit. And I was like, I was like, if, okay, they, God send me a sign. Yeah, I know. <laughs> okay. It's like one of those moments where I was like, cause we were, you know, we're talking about like, okay, do you have all your notes? Do you know the teacher's name? Do you know this? You know, like, you know where you're going? We're going to bring the kid in. We're going to meet the teacher and the teacher gets arrested for a DUI. And you're like, fuck this. Message like, received. I, I just, yeah. I threw my hands up and I said, well, if that's, if, if we had, it can't be a one-off. And what I've learned is, you know, it's not a one-off. There's kind of a lot of that. Uh, unfortunately, you know, it's a, uh, it's rural living and there's a lot of people who, uh, you know, they have problems. So, yeah. And it turns out that some of those people can be teachers and teachers, aides and bus drivers and, 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 and. So I said, well, Hey, he's five. I can do this. Like I'm already home. I'm already doing all this other stuff. So let's give it a whack. So, you know, by age six, both my kids could read at like a fourth grade level by age six. So I was like, I think I'm doing okay. And they love to read. So yeah. And they're way above, they're way above their reading level. They're way above their math levels. And so I just kind of, you know, every year we reassess it and we say, well, what am I not doing that I could be doing? Or what is it that they need? And we, we assess those things when we get there, but you know, you're always just trying to tweak something. If if I'm not meeting a need that they, that they have, then I find somebody who can. Right. And that's the great thing about the internet is that, Hey, if I don't understand a thing in calculus, I'm sure somebody can figure it out. Like somebody's got a video out there. And if you've got a visual learner, great. Video is a great way to do it. Mm. And then they don't have to go sit in that situation. And so, you know, that, that worked out. Yeah. I mean, it's just kind of like the farm, right? If there's an impediment, if there's a problem, it's just, you need to go and find the the unlock that, that brings the harmony back again. Um, but I, I've got a few questions about that. So it sounds like you didn't go with like a, a pre-made curriculum by some like, you know, homeschooling startup or anything like that. You decided to kind of put it together yourself. Is that correct? Yeah. Early stages. It was just, let's, uh, my thought process was something like, let's only just introduce, let's introduce the kids to everything and yeah. let's see what they like. Cause totally. Um, you know, like the, uh, if I've got food scraps, I throw them up to my chickens and I watch them. What do they eat first? What do they eat mm-hmm. second? What do they ignore? Right. Like, what do they come back to later after there's bugs on it? Right. That kind of stuff. And so I do the same thing. And, you know, like the first, one of the first principles or concepts in permaculture is observe and then interact first, sit back and watch, see what you're dealing with, then go play. Right. Like 
So find out what your kids really like to do. Um, you have to learn to read. I had some basic rules. You have to learn to read. Whatever you want to read, my library is open to you, right? So uh, we've got the public library. By all means, pick anything you want, obviously within reason, right? For a seven-year-old, you know, there's some stuff that you probably like, well, there's this section over here. We'll just avoid that for now. Yeah. Like, um, but you give them, and I, my, my mindset was always give them a little bit more than you think they might be able to handle and see what they do with it. Right. Cause then you'll find out where their edges are. Right. If you've got a kid that uh, let's say you've got a kid and he's in fifth grade and he's supposed to be doing, you know, whatever for math and he's way above that level intellectually, but he's waiting on everybody else in that class. Like you teach the lesson and then he just sits there and he's like, I got it. Let's go lady. Hurry up. Let's move it along. He's stuck. You can't, you can't go any further cause you got to wait another nine months or whatever it is before you get to the next level of math. So like, if he, if he excels at math, let him excel. Like, you know, let that kid hit the gas pedal until he hits a spot where he's like, all right, I got to hit the brakes. Same thing with reading. So my, my mentality was just give them as much as they can handle without stressing them out and let them come to it as they wish. Right. Uh, so like a, a very unstructured, I would say at my early process was unschooling. Like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to tell you, you have to read. I'm just going to put the books out. And when you get bored of playing with Legos or playing with Kinects or playing with Barbies or playing with whatever, maybe you sit down with a book and it turns out they kind of do. If you have it, they'll pick it up. I never forced them unless it was like, hey, you started this book, you're three quarters of the way through it. I want to know the ending, but I don't want to have to read it. Can you finish it and then tell me the story? And they like that stuff, right? Like it's a, it's a way of getting a kid to do a thing, right? Like I want to be involved but I have other things I got to do. So can you do this for me and then tell me about it? Like, I want to ask questions. Uh, yeah. So there's those ways. Um, now that they're a little bit older, I mean, we're in like middle school, high school stuff now. And there are things that I don't have time to teach. Like uh, my son's in like advanced algebra. He's in like an honors algebra class, um, you know, at what, eight, uh, seventh, eighth grade, whatever it is. And so I don't, I don't want to sit down and, teach that I could teach it but I'm sure there's somebody that can teach it better mm. and there are some programs and I'm not going to say which programs that we use um just because you know I don't want to put too much of myself out there in that regard uh, but there are some you know there's a lot of different things around right so like there's like places like well YouTube's great um but there are some structured programs that you can pay for and then there are some structured programs that go through like your local ed depending there are some like offshoot uh, public education resources. So if you don't, in where I live, if you don't send your kid to public school, they still have access to the public school library and all of the textbooks for the public school and all the resources that those kids have. So like now with everything being like online and digital, all of the online digital stuff that the kids have at the local high school, I have access to like, because I, I pay taxes. Yeah. Right. So they're like, yeah, your kid can log on and they can do, they can do it themselves at home. And they provide the testing, um, but there's, you know, we kind of like dip our toes in a lot of stuff, like make make use of the public library, make use of the school library, make use of the school resources, but we buy other books. There's all the stuff that's on YouTube. There's a place called Khan Academy that works pretty well. Mm. Um, and I think some of that stuff is free and that's a great place to kind of start picking and choosing your battles when it comes to what you want to educate and what you don't. Um, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, so, there's, a, yeah, it's a, there's a, it's a mix. Yeah. That's a ton of resources online today. Like, as you, you mentioned a, a bunch of them there, and as you say, I mean, if you need to, even in our daily life, if you need to know something, you want to figure something else out, you want to learn about something, you know, it's only a couple of YouTube, uh, Google searches away, you know? And so it, it is kind of crazy that, well, I mean, as a result of being a public institution, government funded, you know, uh, there's a huge lag between the state of technology and the, the the quality of solutions that are available and what's being offered through those, you know, state institutions, let's say, but it's, and, and of course, you know, the big kicker is the time and the effort required on, on or, or at, at least the perceived time and effort on behalf of the parents required to, to avail of, of those, you know, superior solutions that are now available because, you know, a lot of parents by virtue of, oftentimes their necessity to go to work and, you know, whatever other reasons, you know, it's just easier to, to convince yourself that the public school system is good enough and it's not going to have that negative an impact on your, on your child. And therefore like everyone else is doing it. So I'm going to do it too. So one, you know, kudos to you for not doing that because I think we, we underweight or under index the negative influences that are received uh, both by the education, the content of the education that's delivered, the, the method in which it's delivered in a very restrictive environment where, as you say, it's not catered one way or the other or customized. It's everyone in the same, you know, category and everyone learned the same thing and everyone, you know, very little variety. And of course, that's not going to, that doesn't seem, I think we would all agree that that doesn't seem like the best way to cultivate an individual right? Like we, we want them, as you say that you're doing with yours, you know, you'd want to expose them to a lot of things and then see which ones they naturally gravitate towards and then, ha you know, stoke that fire and then see what kind of twists and turns it takes. And then, you know, you're going to have to put in place some, some discipline and some, some limitations because that's important in, in cultivating an individual as well, but in, in the right way with the right touch. And it's, you know, by the sounds of it, uh, you know, you've got, you, you've done your best to have that right touch to kind of be there as a, as a guardrail when needed, but also back off and let the kind of curi natural curiosity of their own intellect kind of steer them where they want to go. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the, it's the one best thing you can do for, I mean, for yourself, for a human, for an animal, for, for anything is just, what do you need and can I provide it? And give me feedback about what you're feeling and how you're, how you're attacking this and we'll work with it from there. Right. So, I mean, if, how, if do you, you want, how do you, how do you cultivate a natural process? I mean, in permaculture or in education, it's kind of the same, right? It's like, okay, there's a, there's a circumstance, there's an environment here and I have a, a want or a desire or a need. It has certain attributes. Okay. How do we find the synthesis between the two? And then, you know, what is the kind of the minimally, involved influence that I can have on this environment to allow its natural fruits to emerge, let's say metaphorical fruits in the, in the sense of an individual and their developing personality and character or actual fruits in the sense of a, you know, a tree. Right. Yeah. You, you, and the thing is like the good example that nature always gives is you can't force it. Right. Um, I can't go out and yell at bees and tell them to pollinate the trees if they're not into it, right? I can't, mm -hmm. there's there's no forcing. I mean, modern ag kind of tries and it's kind of works.
working or it kind of has worked for a while, but eh, look at the cost though. There's big failures and hiccups that go along the way. And yeah, exactly. It's there, you know, um, everybody's seen like the factory farms and what monocropping does and what happens with rivers when you over fertilize and get a heavy amount of rain. And, you know, this, uh, when, you know, you've got to rely on somebody so somewhere to uh, harvest your natural gas so you can make nitrogen fertilizer. I mean, like the, the web is just, it's enormous, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so if you could set up a system in whatever realm you're talking, whether it's growing your own food or raising out your kids or, you know, pick a thing, uh, the minimal amount of effort necessary to get the maximum reward, that's what, that's what I always try to do. Um, if I could get 80% success for 5% effort, I'm not necessarily worried about putting in that much more effort to get another 20%, right? It's like, uh, if I, if I sit a kid down and I say, okay, listen, kiddo, um, we really do need to help pick up this math score right, right this second. And we need to get you caught up. What can we do? Well, we'll get you some practice notebooks. Um, I'm going to, I'll give you some stuff. I'll assign some stuff. Uh, I'm going to give you a smattering of different problems because I don't know if this was the case, and maybe you can uh, relate to this. When I was in high school, the the way that we did math was essentially was like algebra one, then geometry, then algebra two, then like trigonometry or whatever it was. Um, And I sucked at algebra. Like it was just, (laughs) it was terrible. Um, And on top of that, I was, I was out of school for a week. I'm not saying it was because I was an insubordinate piece of shit in school, but it was because I was an insubordinate piece of shit in school and I was not allowed to go to class for a week. Um, when you, if you ever point your finger and ask a question, you might find yourself suspended. Say that again. Um, so I, you cut out for a second, point your finger and ask your, ask a question and say, what? I said, if you, if you point your finger at an authority figure and ask a question that, you know, essentially they don't want to answer, right. you know, you you might find yourself in 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 school suspension, right? You might yeah. get booted out of class, which I always thought was the dumbest thing, right? Like you're trying to get me an education, but if I if I ask a question in a way that you don't like it and you kick me out of class and now I have to miss a week's worth of class, how does that help me get an education? Yeah. So that was, you know, kind of one of those things that kind of always bothered me about the public school system, at least the one that I was involved in. Um, but like, you know, you you just you just nudge them, right? Say like, okay, kiddo, uh here's where we need to get to. And how long do you think it will take us to get there? Right. And you figure it out. Right. So if you're a little slower in math, uh, fine. Right. So I, I bombed out of algebra the first time and I had to do summer school, which meant I was out of work. I was working at the time in ninth grade and I was, I was working on a charter boat fishing. And it's like, that's my summer. Like, I can't be doing this. Like I'm, I'm losing out on hundreds of dollars a day because algebra Right. And because I got suspended and it's like, that shouldn't happen. Um, but anyway, so I got through the summer school thing, got through algebra and it turns out geometry is like, that's my, that's my thing. Like I'm awesome with geometry, but they would not let me take geometry unless I passed algebra, which to me was insane. It was like, here's the thing I'm great at. And you're telling me I have to get through this thing that sucks for me before I can get to the thing I'm good at. What if I could find a way to get through the what if I could find a way to make geometry sing with algebra, but I just need to do geometry first, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's some kids, that's some people you need to, you know, like if you want to you know, get into the Bitcoin conversation, 
where does everybody start? Everybody starts somewhere different. Depends on where, you know, where you were when you started, what year it was, what was, was the number up? Was the number down? You know, what was the debate? What, what was all this other bullshit that was going on on the sides? Everybody kind of comes to it from their own angle. And to say that there's only one right angle to come at it from is ludicrous. It's, mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense. So when you're trying to educate a child, just figure out what they're great at or what they're good at and see if you can find a way to build off of that on the thing that they're not so great at. Yeah. And have you found that they've uh, naturally kind of gravitated towards unconventional studies, you know, especially now as they're, as they're getting into kind of high school age, or have they just focused in on conventional ones and a different sort of weighting that you might expect in in public schools? Interesting question. Um, I'm mostly hands off now. So uh, I kind of like this, like this thing we talk about in our house um, every year, and this is going to be a weird, weird analogy or, or weird segue. Every year we get these birds, these little flycatcher birds, right? They eat flies and they make a nest on our porch. Every year they show up. The two birds show up. One calls to the other one. They hook up. They make a nest. They lay some eggs. And most years, all the little baby birds fly out at some point, right? We hear them cheeping. They're making a noise. And we're always excited to see like, oh, are they going to pull it off this year? Right. Like, are are they going to make it? Because, you know, this is nature, right? Like sometimes it rains for three days straight and there's not a lot of stuff to eat. And those baby birds suffer for it. Um, But so uh, two years ago, or actually, yeah, was it two years ago? Last year, maybe it was whatever. um, the, The couple showed up, they, they laid their eggs, they made their nest, they did the whole thing and they're feeding the little baby birds. And there's, I don't know if there's five little baby birds in the nest, you know, these parents are, they're hustling, man. They're off the porch. They're getting a, bro- a bug of some sort, fly, a moth, a cricket, whatever. They bring it back, feed it. And I mean, they're all day long, back and forth, back and forth. These guys, they're running, they're, they're flying their hearts out trying to feed these babies. And the babies get raised up. And sure enough, uh, they, you know, they sit on the edge of the nest and they test their wings and they're flapping and they're flapping. And, you know, it, like it's going to be just two days and these little birds are going to fly. And then sure enough, I wake up one day and there's no noise. I'm like, oh man, they must have flown off this morning. I missed it. Yeah, sucks. Because normally they fly around the porch and we get to hang out with them for a little while and they fly off and they go learn to be adult birds. Uh, presuming most of them they get taken out by predators anyway, but that's aside from them. But anyway, so they fly off and the mother bird kept coming back to the nest and screaming at the nest. And we had never seen this before. So I said, well, let me get a ladder and see what's going on. And there was another baby bird that refused to leave the nest hmm. and it, the mother would not feed it. It was like, like Hey, wow. if get you want to eat, you want to eat, you got to get out. Yeah. Like, come on with us. You're big enough. You're strong enough. Flap them baby bird wings and let's go. <laughs> it didn't. And she didn't feed it. And all the little, the other ones that flew out, she was sitting there on the branches, picking bugs and feeding them to, you know, teaching them how to do the hunting thing. And she just basically come to the conclusion, like, Hey, this one's not worth saving. Wow. Right. So she's like, ah, oh, you know, that's just, it's just, I don't have time to do, you know, I can't be running like this all over the place. So that little bird died. And I went out like two days later and in the nest. Like, yeah. In the nest. And it's little head was hanging off the side of the nest and you know, the flies show up and kind of ironic. You're a fly catcher and you get eaten by flies, but, um, 
you know, they, that's, that's nature. And so I, you know, I had this, I had this talk with the kids. I was like, look, see guys, at some point, you better not stay home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At some point you're going to have to fly, but that's the lesson, right? It's like at some point or another, I can't do it for you. Right. I will read to you every night and I will teach you to read, but at some point I can't read it for you. Like if you want to read the Lord of the Rings, that's going to be on you. Cause that's a big set of books and I got to make dinner. Mm-hmm. Right. Like, but you, you know, you kind of have to, with kids, you kind of have to give them enough rope and then you gotta, you know, help that little baby bird flap and have it, help it fly, but you can't feed it forever. Mm-hmm. Right. And so like my last, my, my thing with my kids is now with education is you let me know what you need to do for school. And I will make sure you have the supplies you have. I will make sure you have the time and the connection and all the resources available to you. If you have questions, come ask me, we can talk about it. And we, you know, we eat dinner together every night. Um, so like, we're always here, but I'm not going to be up your ass sideways trying to figure out like your school stuff. Like I want to ask you a question and say, how was school? You know, when you're doing an online lesson or when you're working on a project and I want to go, how was it? And I want them to say, good. And I go, what's your grade? Oh, I've got like a B plus in this subject. Cool. I'm good. Like we're, we're good. Like, cause I know they can read. I know they can do the math. They're like I said, they're in advanced classes. So I'm not going to like harangue them over like that last, what? five percent ten percent um so it's mostly kind of hands-off for me at this point but at you know if there ever were to become a moment where i have to be a little more hands-on i'm more than welcome i'm more than happy to do it because of yeah. course you know you don't want to see your kids fail right i'm not going to i'm not going to be that mother bird being like i'm not feeding you unless you're right. 30 years old living in my basement <laughs> get out yeah it's you and your uh, mom needs some time <laughs> i think it's uh it's also a, a, a big, you know, a s- significant departure from, you know, the, the existing school system in that, you know, kind of giving, as you just said, you, you make them be responsible and in charge for their education. So you say, what is it you want to pursue, learn, et cetera. You tell me what you need and I'll help you get it. But I want you to be the one to decide what you think is interesting and what you want to learn verse. And, and like, I think that again, helps foster a greater sense of responsibility of agency in in a young person rather than you spend like 18 year whatever when you start school so like 14 15 years of your life being told what to do study this do this get ready for this test take this subject this is what you're learning this is what you're learning this is what you're learning and by the time and maybe more if you go on to university afterwards although there's obviously a little bit more choice involved there but you get spit out at the end and among other things you're you're just a machine that knows how to do what it's told. Right. And Absolutely, rather than yeah. someone who has spent their life up to that point, being the one determining for themselves, what's meaningful, what's interesting, what they're willing to sacrifice, what they're willing to bear the responsibility in order to achieve or to learn or to pursue. And what, like, what kind of a, what are the d- differences between the two types of people that that produces? And I would say they're vast and we would probably all agree that the latter is a far more is a, is a far more preferable outcome. Someone who's capable and and uh, willing to take the responsibility for their own cultivation, physically, intellectually, and otherwise. And what I think a lot of the problems that we have in the world today are due to an abdication of that. And certainly, you know, and this happens through many different methods and many different forms of conditioning in society. But certainly, the education system has to be one of the main culprits because you know, you're locked in for eight hours a day for 15 years of your early life. And basically all you're doing 
is what other people tell you to do. And you don't have any choice in, in the matter. I mean, how that is such a toxic environment and such a, such a, well, such a poor environment to cultivate an individual who's capable of thinking for themselves and taking responsibility for themselves and then deciding for themselves what they want to pursue. And so I, I think it's tremendously important that people are doing what you're doing and hopefully more in the future, because, uh, I do think it's largely responsible for a lot of the problems we have today. And, you know, as you were saying about your own experiences with math in high school, I mean, I couldn't even tell you what I learned in, in math and in high school or junior high for that matter. But I do remember the anguish I felt at how much I disliked it and how difficult it was for me and physics as well. I remember physics in high school. I was like, this is what the fuck is this? Like, it is just torture. And then, you know, you take the exam and you're all stressed out and you barely scrape by. And it's just, it's like, for what? One, I'm not going to apply that stuff, you know, in my life, most likely, because I don't have that that natural inclination or interest in it. But what's what I found interesting is that, and what 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 school lacks, and what it seems like, well, when you homeschool, you're more able to facilitate this. Is I think what's missing is you need there needs to be a relevance to what you're learning, right? Like the, you, there needs to be a a reason why you're learning what you're learning, and that reason has to be of has to be meaningful to the student, right? If they're just, you know, told to learn a bunch of shit, then it's going to be torturous or they're not going to care about it or it's, they're not going to engage in it fully. Whereas now, you know, in my own personal example, I'm really enjoying studying physics now because largely as a result of my interest in Bitcoin, I've become more interested in it. Now it, it, it has a strong relevance and there is a strong meaning to it. And so now all that disparate information that was just a chaos of, of like irrelevance before now, I want to see how it all fits together. I want to pursue all those different lines. I want to, I want to form order out of the chaos. And Bob's your uncle, you know, I'm able to do so not only much more easily, but I actually enjoy it. Like I'll take spare time to pursue it, something that once was torturous to me, you know, and, and I think that the kicker there is that now it seems relevant. Now it's meaningful. And when you just throw kids in a random education, uh, that's the same for everybody that doesn't account for their interests and doesn't cultivate them, then you, you get an environment where they don't know why it is they're learning what they're learning. And you hear this all the time, you know, kids are like, why the fuck am I learning calculus? I'm never going to use this in my life. Why is this a prerequisite for this course? I'm never going to use it. And you do that enough. And again, you, you just, you, you, you're resigned to that, to acting in that way. You, you become conditioned to be like, all right, someone's telling me to do something that I don't, I don't want to do. And I don't even know why I'm doing it, but that's how it works. That's what I do. And then, you know, you wind up a 40 year old, a 50 year old, a career of having done that. I don't, you know, I'm doing it for the paycheck. I don't really get much out of it, but I'm, you know, it is what it is. I'm told to do it this way. I need to do it this way. So I do it that way. And why do you think we have so many problems with substance abuse and mental health issues and all that kind of stuff? Because people are just crushed into becoming a robot, you know, be, becoming someone that's told what to do. And then you sprinkle in a little, you know, uh, theft on top of that. And people can't, you know, they don't even get to keep the, the fruits of that, uh, that labor and it's all made even worse. And this is why we Bitcoin, of course, but there's uh, there's a lot wrapped up in it, I guess is, is my point. And I'm, it's really refreshing to hear someone like yourself have such a, a thoughtful and, uh, and productive approach to it, at least, you know, for your, you and your family. I certainly thank you for that. Uh, the one thing that always gets me is that um, it's a, it's a, it is a process. And whether you're talking 
Bitcoin, permaculture, education, everybody's gonna, you're, everybody's gonna start from a different spot and everybody's gonna find their own way. And to force somebody to, to follow a path that they don't wanna follow, eh, why, it, maybe back when all you needed was factory workers and military people, maybe that was the way to do it, right? We could take all these schlubs off the farms. We can, now we've got tractors. So now we can just put these idiots behind a desk. We can teach them basic stuff and we can get them out there and, you know, we can sure. produce widgets. And, mm. you know, at the time, I guess maybe sure, right? Uh, that's not the way it works now. And it's not the way it works with agriculture. It's not the way it works with raising a human being. And it's not the way it works with money, right? So to your point, I didn't give a flying fuck about anything financial except for, hey, I, like I wasn't, I was 20 years old before I understood like what interest on a credit card was, <laughs> right? Like I was dumb, financially <laughs> dumb. And like, I was lucky I didn't need, but here's the point, right? Like I didn't need it. Um, I always had, I always had work. I was either self-employed. I was self-employed technically from the time I was like 12 <laughs> until, you know, until I got like real legit jobs. And I, I always had a decent enough income where I didn't have to worry about a credit card. I didn't, debit cards really weren't a thing at the time. So like nobody had, nobody had to explain interest to me and God forbid they did that in school. I mean, why would they do that in school, right? Like whatever we do, let's not teach the kids about how the way the money works. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, <laughs> like what are we doing there, right? <laughs> I mean, like that should be like a no brainer. Why are we learning about, uh, you know, some of the nonsense we're learning. Can we just do like a course on economics? Can we do a course on finance? Like how to fucking balance a checkbook? I mean, for totally. Christ's sakes, you learned all kinds of stuff in math class and never had to balance a checkbook. That's stupid. Mm -hmm. 100%. So I always kind of thought like, well, you know, there's, if there's, if there is a better way, well, there first, there has to be a better way because this obviously isn't working. And well, let's see if we can't find it, you know, like, so I remember getting a credit card and being like, this is interesting. And then I would use it and then I would pay it off. And then I never had like a cycling debt or anything. So like interest didn't mean anything to me. It was like, mm -hmm. no, I just paid this like couple of bucks or whatever and eh, whatever. But then I would, I, I saw this like right towards the end of the financial crisis or maybe just before the financial crisis was the financial crisis. I sat down with a guy who was like a mortgage broker. Right. Cause I was thinking like, this is, this is the biggest mistake I almost made. I sat down with a, um, a mortgage guy and I'm like, Hey man, I got some money in the bank. And I hear housing is just going to the fucking moon. So what can you do for me? And he threw out some numbers and he said, you could definitely afford this much house with this amount of interest and with this thing and that thing and the other thing. And I was like, that's a lot of house. Like, that's a lot of house. And I thought to myself, and that's a lot of money. And I was starting to kind of like, can I really afford that kind of monthly payment? And I didn't know this at the time, but like those guys aren't paid <laughs> they don't they don't get paid if you can keep if you can keep your mortgage payment right, they get right. paid like on the day and then after that fuck you totally. right and like and so you know i just happened to get lucky and i met another guy who was you know like so i realized like okay this this mortgage thing this this number's not going to work for me i need to be able to like go places and do things and afford gas and food and this guy's insane so i put it off i put it off and then like a year later the whole thing went to dog shit right but just in time for me to understand what an adjustable rate mortgage is and all these other mm. things. And I learned it just as the whole thing went to shit. And I was like, holy hell, man, did I avoid like the biggest mistake of my life? Because if I had just listened to that guy, just like you're talking about with elementary school, middle school, high school, hey, just listen to us, do the thing right. we tell you to do and you'll be fine. Exactly. Go to college, 
get a degree in whatever, communications, basket weaving, whatever, you'll be a millionaire by the time you're 40, you know, mm. like, okay, uh, I guess I'll just, I've been doing this since I was five. So let's just keep doing what they tell me to do. And it was one of those moments where I was like, eh, something seems a little off here. And man, when that, when that whole thing unwound and everything went to shit, I was like, holy moly, I cannot believe that I avoided all that nonsense because I would be, where would I be now? I wouldn't, I wouldn't have my house. I wouldn't have my land. I would probably wouldn't even have my wife. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like at that, point, <laughs> that would have been right out the window. Like should have been like, what the fuck did you get us into? Like that's a bridge too far. You know, I've, yeah. I've, I love this woman with all my heart and she is my biggest supporter and my best friend, but I don't know if I had turned a half, if I had turned a half a million dollars into a hundred thousand dollars, I think she'd be pretty pissed. Right. You know, yeah. like, holy yeah. crap, you know, but like you, you, you learn. Right. And so then I was like, okay, I got to understand financial shit, but took a couple of years again. Like we did manage to pull it off with the house and the land. And, you know, we built up a pretty awesome thing. And along that path kind of in, in step with, permaculture, I started hearing things about Bitcoin. It's like Bitcoin, Bitcoin, and it would pop up every once in a while. It wasn't like super on my radar, but when it would pop up, I'd go, huh, that seems interesting. Also seems kind of useless, but kind of seems interesting. And then I'd close the tab and I'd move on with my plants and kind of do my thing. And then I hear about it again. It's like, did you know that the price is like going way up? And I was like, oh man, I should have, should have gotten involved with that. And then six months later, it's like, everything's you know, it's all out the window. It's all over with. Forget it. If you if you didn't get in, you're done for. So I was like, eh. so I did that a few times. And then finally, like, <laughs> it was it a couple of years ago, I was like, let me do a little more research. I knew a little bit about financial stuff. I kind of like I had a little bit of money kicking around. Right. That's one good thing about the permaculture thing is it really does put a dent in your uh, food bill. Right. Mm, mm. It's like, OK, I don't have to pay for fertilizer. I don't have to pay for, you know, a good majority of the vegetables and fruits and things that I eat animal stuff that takes care of itself. And so I was like, I got a little bit of, I got a little bit of pocket change. Like, like what could I get into here? And it popped up at just one of those moments where it was like, um, we were in like a little bit of a dip, right? And I was like, huh. So I'm like looking at charts. I'm kind of trying to figure my way through this whole thing. And I just decided my wife and the kids were on vacation. They were out of town and I'm managing the homestead. And I talked to my wife and I said, Hey, uh, I got a little bit of money. It's kind of burning a hole in my pocket. Got an idea. Want to try something? She's like, what? <laughs> bitcoin she's like fuck no <laughs> <laughs> and i said and it was funny because i said remember when i asked you for just yeah, if we could just blow a thousand bucks on a food forest she's like yeah it seems stupid at the time but look what it turned into remember mm. when i said can you can you can you back me on this whole like getting 10 chickens that turned into 35 chickens like yeah like it worked out right like that worked out remember when i said we should get rabbits and you weren't pumped about it but then we built the cages and we built the hutches and then now we have that resource. And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. I said, trust me on this one. And then she did. And I said, oh man, this is great. And I spent like those first few fucking months just looking at that chart, just, yes, yes, it's going up. It's going up. It's going up. Like, this is the smartest fucking thing I ever did in my whole life. I'm a genius. <laughs> I can't believe it. I just made us bazillionaires. I don't know how I did it. Right. It's like, I just felt like it was one of those moments where I just stumbled into it and you know, you always feel like you stumbled into a thing at the right time, or at least it's been my, my luck that it's mostly been at the right time. Mm. And now we're here. So <laughs> <laughs> you go like, okay, well, I mean, I'm still as committed as ever. Right. I, it's, but it, what it did is it fostered in me uh, a wanton, a wantonness to 
understand the underlying technology, mm-hmm. right? The, 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 how everything kind of networks, right? And then you learn all kinds of interesting things about people, right? Like you've got 10,000 different kinds of Bitcoiners, right? Like there's, there's people who are the maxis and you've got, you know, I mean, you know, and I'm not going to go through it, but there's, there's a thousand kinds of us mm. or 10,000 kinds or a hundred thousand kinds. And it's always changing. And it's as, it's as dynamic as, a forest it's as dynamic as the brain of a child right it's like mm-hmm. it can go in so many different directions and well you know you do have off days and you do have downtime and but what do you do with the downtime right what am i going to do in the winter when there's no apples on the tree cut it down i mean that's stupid right it's like it's going to fruit again next year right so like right. just wait it'll be fine and so like you learn some humility and you learn like okay again i'm glad i didn't put my fucking entire family's fortune into this at the moment but you know, it's like a little nest egg, right? It's like just sitting there kind of waiting to launch. And I get to teach my kids about it, right? And so yeah. that's the other fun thing. I pay my kids in sats for chores. <laughs> like, of course. How could you not? Like, right. It's like, it's just the easiest thing to do because it's like, at the moment, it's like, I'm going to pay you 10,000 sats to go mow the lawn. And they're like, hell yeah, 10,000, anything, I'll do it. <laughs> right? And it's like, to me, it's like, oh, it's not that, you know, on the front end, it's like, oh, it didn't cost me hardly anything to get that lawn mowed. I mean, it costs me well, more I'm, sure, the I'm sure they'll be happy about it in, in 10 or 20 years, exactly. as long as they hold on to it. Right. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I'm holding keys right now. So it's like, you get yours when I, <laughs> when you turn 18, <laughs> you can do with it what you will then. But like, but they love it, right? They like, they'll, they'll, every morning, like they're up before I get up. And like, I walk it like this morning, I walk out of my bedroom. Hey guys, what's going on? I'll start breakfast here in a minute. And my son goes, it hit 18 grand last night. I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, yeah, okay. That's amazing. Like, well, That's don't amazing. worry about it, man. It's going to be fine. And they go, yeah, it'll be fine. It's like, it's, you know, it's it's fun because, I mean, what else are you going to do? It's a life, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. grow some food, raise some kids. And yeah, then man, it's just if, fucking around. If you and the gang are already got, you know, experience waiting 12 years for a chestnut tree, I mean, you're like, you're primed to be hardened hodlers right off the bat, you know, like, you know, that you can delay gratification for a decade, no sweat, you know, so it's like, don't, don't worry, the seeds are planted, we just, you know, keep planting them, and then, you know, one day we'll harvest them, and everything will be great. So I mean, I think people like yourself that, that have already, uh, you know, lived in, you have, have already interacted with things that require that degree of, of patience and delayed gratification are, are primed to be Bitcoiners. But you know, it's interesting what we were saying earlier about how such intimate interaction with the natural world inculcates a certain ethic, right? Because you, the natural, and like this, this kind of leads into like a more spiritual discussion, but, and we don't have to go there, but just to say that it's just a fact that when you interface with, something like the natural world, some complex absolute system, right? That can't be, you know, it's not virtual, right? It is what it is. So you can't, you can't really negotiate with its fundamental parameters. You have to, you have to react to them. That inculcates a certain ethic, the ethic of patience, delayed gratification, uh, respect, um, you know, uh, kind of keen observation, looking for ways to harmonize or synthesize, you know, o- opposing forces, let's say. Mm-hmm. And I think Bitcoin represents a similar environment because of its absoluteness, because of its its characteristics. And, and yeah, I talk about this all the time on the podcast because I'm, I'm so 
intrigued and fascinated with the the personal and individual like character changes that seem to occur in people as a result of learning about and interacting with Bitcoin. And I think it, it's a similar thing, right? You're you're interfacing with another system that is both kind of absolute in a sense, but also tremendously relevant in terms of its, the different applications it, it has for your life, right? So money being that the tool that you use to move yourself through the world, you know, both through space and time, trading with people, saving for the future, all that kind of stuff. So it's extremely relevant as is the natural world, because that's your sustenance. That's the environment you live in. That's what you rely on for safety and security. And so they're both like extremely relevant uh, domains or environments that you have to interface with. And as a result of that and their unshaking sort of absoluteness, it's almost impossible that an like a, an ethic is not going to be transmitted or, or like there's not going to be a feedback between the two that generates a type of ethic as a result of, of those that circumstance. And that, that genuinely seems to be the case, you know? And so it's a very interesting question to, or, you know, discuss and, and think about is like, well, what ethic is it, right? Can we identify the ethics that are being, uh, that are emerging as a result of the, this, this relationship of feedback between both ourselves and these different environments. Now you might be able to extend that and say like, an ethic is kind of always generated when you have a relationship of any kind between yourself and anything, but I, perhaps by virtue of the the importance or the absoluteness of the thing that you're interfacing with, the thing that you're in a feedback relationship with, then maybe the ethic is more profound or more fundamental or more important or something like that. But it does seem to be the case, and it's it's tremendously interesting to try to tease out what it might be, and then you know how is it that these things have those characteristics, those attributes that those, that quote unquote nature such that it's able to participate in the emergence of an ethic like that, you know, and again, we, we wind up in, in weird territory when we speculate on why that might be the case. Yeah, absolutely. And when you were talking, it, it made me think that uh, between the three things that we've discussed, permaculture, education, and, and Bitcoin, um, what it makes me think is, is I have this incredible urge to protect it. Like, mm-hmm. you're not taking this from me, right? Like, this is my food. This is, this is my land. This is my, this is my joy, right? This is like where there's so many memories, right? Like, We've we've got a we've got an apple tree that's named after a chicken that we had for like it was this goofy ass fucking chicken. It was the poorest, piss poor, shitty little bird that <laughs> ever existed. But goddamn it, he was cute, right? And like he he did his best, but he was kind of twisted in the head. He he definitely wasn't the brightest bird on the planet. Like eventually things got, you know, it, it got well, he passed, right? So it didn't work out for him, but he was like a loved, it was like that little misfit chicken. He was like, ah, this shitty little chicken, but I love the little bastard. Right. And so like, you know, we had to go out and we had to bury that chicken. And then we, we dug a hole and we put the chicken in the hole and we covered it up and we put a stone on it so that the coyotes wouldn't dig it up. And then, you know, it's like the next spring when that apple tree bloomed, we're like, that's that chicken, right? Like that's, that's our little buddy, right? Like he's, he's, he's kind of part of that tree now. And so like, now when I tell, you know, we talk to the kids like, Hey, it's time to go harvest apples. I need you to go check on the, you know, the Polish tree. And his name is Polish. And it's like, 
yeah, like go check the poll. Like, so now that tree has a story, right? Like that, like, and I want to protect that. Like, I'm not going to just, if somebody walked up to me and said, Hey, I'll give you X number of dollars for your land. That number is going to have to be in excess of 10 X what it's worth. Mm-hmm. Right. Because like, there's so much story here, right? Like this tree has a name for a reason, right. For memories, like that we built this up, like it was nothing but a hay field. And now it's, it's a forest, right? Like it's, it produces more than I could ever want. And why would you not protect that? Right. Same mm-hmm. thing with kids, right? It's like, these are my kids. Like, I mean, I think any reasonable, you know, any, any parent that's not an absolute dingbat would say that I would die for my kids. I would, I would do anything for you. Like I would, there are things in my head that I would never consider doing if you weren't here, but now you're here and damn it. I'm going to, you know, if it ever came, you know, like, I'll throw all the way off the show. Of me, save me. Yeah. <laughs> like, whatever it takes. I mean, the day I found out that my son was like, like my wife was pregnant. I was like, I was like kind of a reckless, you know, not super reckless, but it didn't necessarily wear a seatbelt. Right. It's like, but like, I remember she's like, Hey, I'm pregnant. And I had to go to work. And I was like, it was the first time I consciously was like, click the buckle. Don't fuck this up. Someone's relying just, on you. Not just about me anymore. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's like, I mean, if, if I got in a wreck and went through the windshield, like she could, you know, she could start over, right. We were young. Mm-hmm. So I was like, eh, you know, if I kill me, that sucks for her, but eh, I killed me. But if I kill me doing something stupid and that affects like these little people who I don't even know yet. And it's like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. Like, I'm going to protect this. Like, and if that means protecting myself, and that means like having the resources to protect them in this, in as solid a way as I can, right? Like it's not all money. It's not all like storing a bunch of whatever you think you might need if the world goes to garbage, right? It's like pieces. I need a little bit of this. I need a little bit of that. I need a little bit of food forest. I need a little bit of pork. I need a little bit of chicken. I need a little bit of red, like a little bit of everything, right? You, you piece it all in and then it gives you like multiple layers of security mentally, where you can mm. just say, okay, now this is like, if the cherry trees don't flower this year, I'm fine. If the apple trees don't flower, I'm fine. Like that doesn't, that doesn't bother me at all. Like if, if, you know, my male rabbit dies, well, it's going to be a little while before I can get another one, but that doesn't, that doesn't break my bank. Right. So, and it's the same thing, uh, whether it's, you know, like I said, whether it's permaculture stuff or it's the education of your children, why wouldn't you take that on? If you apps, you know, if, I understand, you know, some people can't, and, you know, I would encourage anybody who thinks they can't give it a whack. I mean, if you spent the first four years of their life with them and you're thinking about sending them off to school, Hey, give it another year, give it two more years if it's possible, because you might end up with a way better result than you could think, right? You can go to the store, buy a tomato, or you can plant that tomato, that, that, that tomato plant, that tomato that you grow is going to be way better than the one you buy. Mm. That kid that you send to school is like factory farm tomatoes. Right. And it's your kid, but kind of, is it? I mean, that's the thing that I always get. It's like, I see some kids, you know, we walk around town and I see these kids that are like heads are hanging and they just look like pale and medicated out of their brains. And I'm like, holy hell, you know? And then I sit back and I watch a video of my kids in like Taekwondo and I'm like, oh yeah, no, my kids are badass, right? It's like they're, they're like little warrior soldier smart people. It's like, what the hell is all that? Like, who did this? And then I go like, oh yeah, well, I, I kind of had a pit. I kind of had a hand in that, right? And like all these decisions that you make, you go, well, somebody, somebody has to take control of it. And like, why not you? And wouldn't you protect it as best you could? And so mm. the same thing for, for Bitcoin, right? It's like, once you kind of get started, 
and you kind of understand you go oh this is another piece to this puzzle and i have to protect this like yeah like hang on to that and like hodl 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 right (laughs) don't let go I love uh, I love the term warrior soldier smart people. <laughs> that's that's what you want to feel when you look at your kids. Um, yeah. But but you know it's again the 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 parallels are so you know there's so many uh, apt parallels because like what you're doing you seem to be doing uh, in in the permaculture arena right like you're observing this environment and then you're trying to either get things out of the way or add things to what's happening there to find a better and better equilibrium. Right. And so, and by, if you, if you do that successfully, if you engage in that process successfully, a better equilibrium is found and a better outcome is produced. And I would say that's a pretty darn good way to characterize or define truth, right? Like you're increasingly finding an equilibrium that generates a better outcome. And so you might say that when you, when you find an activity or when, when, when that happens, I think you can reasonably call that, you know, truth, or at least a better truth, like the proof is in the pudding sort of thing. And again, the, the, the example with factory farming and, and monoculture, agriculture and all that kind of stuff and what it does to the land as a result, you know, partially as a result, because all these things are multifaceted. But as a result of what's wrong with the money, right? Because you, you could also look at it and say like farming in a sense, like you, you grow those raspberries and you grow those root vegetables and you grow those chickens. And then, and so they transmuted the energy from the sun or from the bugs into their form, right? And then you take their energy and put it into your form. And it's kind of becoming more complex and more, you know, adaptable, more transmissible, more versatile as it goes up that, that chain. And money is kind of that thing that we've all just coalesced on is like, maybe the pinnacle of that, the thing that could kind of most uh, is most versatile, most adaptable condensed form of, of value or condensed form of energy, if, if you want to use that terminology. And when that becomes corrupted, I think it like if, if that, that kind of concentration is building up and it's kind of finding those harmonies all along the way toward better and better outcomes, when you corrupt the kind of thing that's meant to be the pinnacle of that, it sends that disorder all the way back down the chain, right? So when you have a system that's predicated on an extremely corrupt money that is not performing the function that it's meant to perform, that is not really a distillation of a like the most refined form of energy or optionality that we have available to us, well, look what it does to the land. Look what it does to the source, the ultimate source of everything that it represents. It destroys it, right? It, it just, it forces people to squeeze more and more and more out of it just for a little bit more, just a little bit more because the money isn't doing the job it's supposed to do. And so you get this chaos, you, you get this degeneration, you get this disintegration versus when, when that, when those connections, when that process is properly constituted, you are able to regenerate the land using, you know, this can be applied to many circumstances, but in this case, you know, talking about agriculture, because it is doing its job. It is, it is preserving that chain of, of energy or chain of, um, complexity or, or, or capacity or versatility for, Mm. for value. And it's just so interesting that here we are, you know, like Bitcoin is, is very new. It's only 13 or so years old. And already we're seeing this impulse 
And I'm not, as you said before, people come into it for different reasons and are, and it's, it's, it has different meanings to different people, but the, just the natural incentives are beginning to align and people are realizing the possibilities that now exist. And it's permitting people to have the type of attitude that you've, you know, uh, articulated here today in relation to something like permaculture. Like, I don't need to, to like be on the window and snipe out those blue jays if they're picking off some of those cherries because that's my yield, right? And I need, I need to maximize my yield just to get by, just to survive, just to put food on the table. No, I can have a, 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 a more relaxed approach. I can have a more grateful approach. I can have a more generous or compassionate approach. Again, the ethic permeating through. And I can say, no, you can eat that. You know, maybe my quote unquote yield will be down 20%, 30%, 40% as a result of whatever rodents, birds, what have you. But everything is finding its proper balance and all the different uh, manifestations of increasingly complex energy, let's say, everything is in its proper order. And a greater order and a greater synthesis and harmony is taking shape as a result. And so does that not mean that it's true, that it's good? Uh, and I think it probably does. At least it makes, I mean, it makes pretty decent sense. Absolutely. And I was, like, I was just thinking, you know, think about what it does to all these different aspects of your life. And then it made me think, like, look at what, when the degradation of something is just nonstop. Look what it does to your soul. Look what it yeah. does to your, to everything about you. You get disheartened. You kind of slump over and you go, God damn it. I got to do this thing again that I don't want to do. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I have to suffer through this because this is the only thing I know how to do. And this is my one, right? If you have a job and that's your soul thing, like every, everybody around you is relying on that one thing. And you're now kind of, Everybody, if everybody were dependent on me to go out, collect the money so that we can go to the grocery store, we can, you know, afford the things that we want to afford, you know, pay the bills and blah, 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 blah. And I had nothing else to show for it. You know, I mean, where am I in 10 years, right? If I, if I took that thousand bucks 10 years ago, 12 years ago, wherever it was, and I just went to the casino, could I have like hit it big? Yeah. But I had a thousand bucks and I said, what if I, what if I just put it into something and the mm -hmm. plan was, well, let's put it into a lot of different things and let's put it into things that'll kind of produce for us, like right off the bat, like these things will, we'll be able to harvest something from these raspberries this year, right? Uh, the grapes, maybe we'll get something next year, but then we'll also have raspberries, right? Because the raspberries are still going to be there. And then in three years, I'll have hazelnuts to go along with the raspberries and the grapes. And then in five years, six years, I'll have apples to go along with all that. And then, you know, if I'm lucky, maybe these chestnuts work out and then damn it, didn't they? Right. So like every, every step of like putting a little bit here and it's like a little bit of effort at the beginning, mm. you know, I could have, I could have done that thing where you go like, oh, I got a thousand bucks and I'm miserable and I hate my life and uh, fuck it. I'm just going to pick a thing, right. You like pick your poison. Mm -hmm. uh, you could do that. Right. And it's like a band aid, and it, covers like the very tiniest part of your heart and it doesn't it doesn't do anything for you in the long run yeah, you have to make it, you have to make a decision and say like well what do i want for later right it's like so okay i took a thousand bucks and i put it into these 50 different plants and like yeah some of them died like that sucked right it's like ah i nursed this thing for like three years i put in all the effort and then yeah dead <laughs> you know we had one harsh winter 
and like one of the you know two three four of the trees whatever it was they just died they got frozen out it's like negative 30 degrees you know what i mean that shit sucks but it happens right you kind of but if it if everything i had was in those three trees i'd be miserable but i put it into 50 different things and so 47 out of 50 not bad you go like that's like that's like food for the soul right you kind of go like this is it's a small i mean relatively you know relatively small investment up front a lot of work right and then the workload gets easier the further out in time you go and then it's just like it's so nourishing to your to your soul mm. to to see it happen right i don't have to do anything like i spent 20 minutes in the beginning of the year trimming back my grape arbor i have probably no doubt no doubt there's at least 250 pounds of grapes out there right like i'm not worried about grapes right like that blue jay shows up that squirrel shows up and they sit on my porch rail and i'm like just can you just not leave the the hole on the on the porch like you're staining the porch like that's my biggest concern it's like don't make a mess on my porch like at least take it off and fly over to the fence and eat it there right or whatever mm-hmm. it is i'm not worried about that and so every time something happens there's a little hiccup i go well yeah i got like 50 other things going on so and they're all doing well and next year 47 out of 50 things are going to work and three won't and it's going to be that perpetual cycle presumably until the day i die and it's like yeah that, that gives you peace of mind on the you know for that on the food front and then you could put that into the education for my children i don't have to put in all that crazy effort medicating my kid making sure they get on the bus making sure that they have this that and the other thing to go to school it's like hey what are you working on today kiddo uh, I got a social studies assignment that I got to hand in and I got this, that, and the other thing. I got an art project to do. And it's like, cool, you good? Yeah, I'm good. When's your break? And the cool thing about that is they can take a break whenever they want. My kids wake up in the morning. They putz around. We eat breakfast. You know, it's kind of like a laxed morning. It's like, here's your breakfast. Eat your breakfast while you check the price of Bitcoin or <laughs> play a little game online, right? Like they, this is what they do, right? It's like they they enjoy it. No one's forcing them to do it. It's like, what are you looking at? It's like, uh, yeah, like okay, you're give you. Uh, I'll tie two things together. Um, my son, you you know, got really involved in looking at the the Bitcoin charts, right? It's like, oh, this one it went up. Oh, it went down. Oh, what's this candle mean? What's that candle mean? All these things, right? He's like looking at this all the time because he's kind of invested, right? He's got something in this, right? Like he gets paid in Bitcoin. So this is kind of important, you know, and mm-hmm, number mm-hmm. goes up. Yay for me. Number goes down. Eh, well, we'll just hang on to it. And, you know, he's a hodler, so we're good to go. But then he's the one that's in charge of our chicken coop. He has to make sure that they have feed, that they have water, that he's collecting eggs and all this other stuff. And so he's got his own little economy. And so now every day he goes outside and it's like, hey, how many eggs do you think we're going to get? And we all make a guess and it's, you know, we're usually close, but you know, you get some number and then he has his own little chart that's on the refrigerator. It's like, this is how many we got. And we can look at the patterns and say, oh yeah, look in August, it was like this. And in September, it kind of did this thing. And then, you know, it's going to, it's going to peter off for the winter. And then, you know, in the springtime, they'll kick back into, into egg laying. And this, this chart like shows a truth, right? It's like, it's, there's no denying it. Either the eggs are there or they're not. And he's into it, right? It's like, I didn't tell him, I didn't sit him down and say, you need to make a chart for our eggs so that we know exactly whether or not we're getting the right, you know, bang for our buck when it comes to feed and do we need to like, whatever, whatever. He just did it on his own. He's like, yeah, this is a thing. I mean, I saw that you could build a chart with data that tells you the truth. Mm. 
And here's a chart on the fridge with data that tells you the truth. And so it's like, yeah, I didn't have to do that. They did it. Yeah. And there's like a thousand examples of that every day in my life. And so like, that's food for the soul, you know? Totally. Like, it makes it so easy to just accept things for what they are, right? So that was the other thing I was going to say on your last comment. It makes it easy to let go of stuff that's not working, mm. right? When, when you've got a lot of things that are working for you, it's okay to have a thing that sucks, right? Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you have, you, have, you have a bad year with this, this fruit. Okay, fine. Not a, not a worry, right? I'm not worried about it because there'll be something else later. Or, hey, my kid went to Taekwondo a couple of weeks ago. And in a free fight, she fell and broke her arm. It's like, oh, that's rough. But it's like, how you doing, kiddo? It's like, hey, we can work around it. I don't have to worry about, oh, is there going to be a problem with other kids like you know, on a bus? Or are you going to, you know, is this going to be a problem at school? Or are they going to give you the leeway to be able to make up assignments because you can't write right now? It's like, no, we don't have to worry about that. I can put the school stuff aside. She can heal up. And then when she's ready, she can get back to it. So it's like, it's freedom, right? It's like, there's yeah. all these little when you design a system that you can nudge in certain directions and flow with, you're good to go. Yeah. It makes it, it makes it easy to say, well, it's raining. So not that thing today, or, Hey, it's snowing. And you guys want to do it with the snowblower or you want to go out there and take a physical challenge and do it with the shovels. You know, like, I mean, we do goofy shit like that. It's, it's amazing. You know, like the fun you can have with work, even that kind of stuff, because you don't have to worry about it. Right. It's like, do we need to get this the snow moved in an hour or can it be three hours? Let's have fun yeah. with it. You know, and I, I think I love that attitude and I think that's extremely well put, but I think that's another example of how truth can be discerned. You know, like I think something about the reason why we call it disintegrated and integrated, I think like when you're integrated properly, then that state and however you apply it is sustaining in the optimal way. It's also nourishing. It's also revitalizing. It's energy giving rather than energy taking. It's enjoyable rather than enjoyment rather than suffering. Like that is kind of, and this may be like tautological in a sense, but I think that's what like the, the harmonious or integrated state produces. And you can apply that to an individual internally. You can apply that to the state of nature. You can apply that between to a relationship between those two or, or, many different relationships, like when the relationship uh, or when the activities or when the environment produces that result, I think that's what happens. Sustainability, harmonization, uh, complexification, diversity, enjoyment versus when it's not, when you're, when it's, when forces are too much in opposition to one another, then you get degradation and disintegration. You get the destruction of the land. You get the destruction of the individual. You get despair. You get, you know, all these these problems that we often point out. And so I think, you know, again, that can really point to not only that you like you do you're on the right path and that what you're pursuing is quote unquote true, but I, I also think it says something about you know the grander structure that we're operating within. That when you when you operate in a particular manner, when you engage in a particular manner, it produces this set of uh, states or outcomes or results or emotions or sentiments or feelings or whatever, both internally and externally. And when you engage in an alternative way, it produces these. And like, again, I think we, we, we both agree and many of us would agree, like if the former was all the states that you just mentioned, well, that is probably mean that it's more 
true and it's more right and it's more good when it when the outcomes of our actions have those qualities of sustainability of nourishment of energy and uh we seem as a society to you know we're in this hyper materialistic analytical world today where like everything has to jump off of, of, of a spreadsheet and it has to be put in that context rather than being able to step back and assess things through a different sort of rubric and you know looking at it through that lens and saying like no this is a, a far more sensible way to appraise our behavior or uh to you know determine what our actions should be and that kind of a stuff what results does it produce not like what some isolated metric on a spreadsheet says and again this is this is one of the critiques of like you know gigantic monocrop agriculture and the reason why they can't have the attitude that that you had about the grapes or the you know the seasonality of the cherries or whatever it's like oh shit like some bug came and destroyed my wheat crop and now i'm fucked and i you know my because I'm saving in a money that's rapidly losing its value. And now my yield is decimated for the year and my land, which I've been squeezing for the last decade is, you know, I, I it's, there's so much cost associated with just putting it in a position that it can even grow, you know, all the fertilizer and everything else I have to jack into it because it's so depleted. Well, then you're in a much more anxious state, right? You've put yourself in a, a such a precarious position that it sucks all the joy out, out of life, right? Because you're you're at the behest constantly of the chaos of the world. You haven't insulated yourself from it. You've made yourself more susceptible to it. And you know, there's such a lesson there in in how the different approach is taken can not only put you in a position where you're more capable of confronting the chaos of the world, but actually by virtue of that and by virtue of how you do it, it actually animates your life with you know, joy in all of its different manifestations. And that's inclusive of the responsibility and the hardship that's part and parcel with that, but you accept it differently. And that's the key. And um, yeah, I mean, it, it, it's, it seems like Bitcoin, you know, like, to bring it back to Bitcoin. And again, like I, I realize these sorts of uh, attitudes and insights are possible absent Bitcoin. And many people in different industries, permaculture and otherwise have espoused them. But it seems like, uh, this sort of mentality is 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 being uh, incentivized or being discovered as a result of the attempt to understand and and use and imagine a world where Bitcoin is a more foundational aspect and an, an upgraded form of money, a more upgraded and enhanced form of money than we've ever had. You know, and so it's just it's super interesting. And this is why I have I love having these conversations because it's super interesting to hear all these stories about how people are thinking about it and how it's changed their perspective on things and how it's changed their life as a result. And, you know, it's been so cool to hear, especially the enthusiasm coming off of your voice when you, when you tell me about, you know, how you've approached, you know, the farm or how you've approached your kid's education and the different, different ways in which you've encountered, you've, uh, you've uh, overcome like certain aspects of the challenges there. And it's, um, it just seems right. That's the point, right? Like if, if, are we not, even if you're not like a quote unquote philosopher who's really after truth, is not true something like everyone kind of yearns for in their life, at least in some capacity? At least I would say for me, it is. And these stories and these examples and these circumstances that seem to be more and more prevalent now seem to be indicative of a fairly profound truth. And that's what makes all this so enticing and enjoyable to uh, discuss.
Absolutely. I think no matter where you start, if I had started with, if I had started with Bitcoin, I would have, I would have found permaculture eventually. Mm. If I had started with homeschooling, I would have found permaculture eventually. And like that, that whole web, I think like when you find a thing that gives you control and peace of mind at the same time, and the more uh, the the more mature that system gets, the more you can let it go to do its own thing, the mm. less you have to control it. Cause like, there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing worse than you were saying, like with monocrop stuff, if you have a great year bumper crop, woohoo, let's go let's party hard. Right. Like, cause th- next year might not be the same. Mm. Right. So like you gotta, you know, save whatever you need for next year's seed. And hopefully we do it again. And if you don't, you have crop insurance and you just hope there's not a tornado and you go, let's go, let's see what happens. But it's like, it's like playing a slot machine, right? Like when you win, you win, when you lose, fuck, right? Mm. It's like, but when you put yourself into a a longer term system where the rewards get better as you go and the requirements of you are less and less over that time, I think you're doing the right thing. Totally. doesn't matter where you start. If I had, like I said, if I had started at Bitcoin, I'd probably be like, all right, I got a little more money to play with here. Uh, so let's we can do a much I can do a much bigger food forest. But if and the same token, if I you know I started with I started with permaculture, and that gave me enough uh, let's say control over some some aspect of my budget such that I could have some money to play with Bitcoin, right? Mm-hmm. So like the amount of food that I grow, I'm gonna say if I just had to make a wild guess, I think I'm probably doing sixty percent of my food off my land and i've spent zero dollars this year like make well some pig feed but i'm getting that back right so it's like you mean you mean like a 60 percent yield 40 percent loss sort of thing uh well like like 60 of what i need to survive is coming off of my land oh i got you i guess and the rest of it okay yeah uh, there's things that i like to eat that i can't do here right like we were talking like i can't put a cow on this land it's just it's just not for me mm. but i could do enough and I can sell some of that stuff or I can trade some of those. Like I've got neighbors, I trade eggs for stuff that I don't want to grow, right? There's some things that my neighbor grows, loves growing. And he's like, dude, I'm overwhelmed with X, Y, Z. And I go, cool, need eggs, right? And sometimes I just give them eggs because I have them, right? It's like, I'm not asking you for anything back, but you know, whatever, you know, have you ever, you ever thought to this? Like, if I keep giving you something and you keep taking it, at some point or another, you're going to want to reciprocate, right? Yeah. It's yeah. like, you you can't help it, right? There's like that part of you that goes, man, this guy, I don't even know why. I met this guy next door and he gave me a dozen eggs. Mm. Who the fuck is this guy just giving away food, <laughs> right? It's like, it's like, man, I just, I literally handed them the box. I'm like, dude, I cannot fit these in my fridge. Can you please take them? And he was like, yeah. So now he's, you know, he's here full time and he grows a garden. He's like, dude, I can't deal with all of this, whatever it is, right? It's like tomatoes or zucchini or peaches or whatever he's like i can't I, there's too much of it i need you to take it it's like i'll take it and and he knows that like some of what he give, some of what he gives me i'm gonna just turn around and give right to my chickens or to my pigs like he'll bring me a bucket full of zucchini and it's like dude i'm not eating 25 pounds of zucchini this week i know you're gonna bring me 25 pounds more but i will give you some bacon in the fall if <laughs> you're okay with me just hucking zucchinis at these pigs He's like, I don't care. I don't want it. Right. So it's like, it's like, it becomes this thing that not only it's like the web just gets bigger and bigger and more interconnected, the longer you play the game and it never gets old. There's always a new thing. 
right? So it's like, ah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna build a smoker and I'm gonna smoke some sausages and smoke some bacon. And then the next time I see the neighbor, I go, hey man, try this. Let me know what you think. And it's like, you build a community, right? It's like, it's like, yeah. there's, there's a lot of it, right? So it's the same thing when it, whether, again, back to, back to Bitcoin, right? It's like, you kind of dip your toe in, you go, let me, at the first, at first you go like, hey, let me take a little gamble on a thing. Let's see what happens. And then you're like, there's a lot to this. There's like a, there's a community, right? And like, that's kind of how I found your show, right? Mm -hmm. I go out, I, I throw on, I, I grab my phone, I put my headphones in and I listen to podcasts, right? And it's like, what am I listening to? I'm listening to all the things that are interesting to me, right? And so like, I'll throw on your show and I'm sitting out there pulling weeds and I'm just like putzing along, listening to you and Gigi laughing. And I'm like, this is fucking amazing, right? It's like, it's like I'm hanging out with people and I don't even have to talk. And I just get to pull weeds, right? It's like, this is, I mean, what more can you, you know, I mean, it's like, it's, it's kind of like peripheral. Like, oh, it's like, it's like hanging out with people, but I'm also getting some shit done. Mm -hmm. And then before you know it, I'm through the garden and all the weeds are gone and I've got the mulch laid and the rabbits are cleaned out and I've, you know, done 10 other things. And it's like that three hours went flying by and I didn't even think about what I was really doing because I was just enjoying a thing that I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to me, uh, what else are you supposed to be doing with your life? You know? Yeah. Great question. I mean, one of the, I was going to ask you like, and I, I kind of already know the response based on the last two hours of discussion we've been having, but you know, it sounds like this is a lifestyle that you really enjoy. You know, you're, you're at peace. I'm sure there's things you want to accomplish. I'm sure there's, there's, there's always challenges as we discussed, but like, it sounds like you feel like this degree of control over your environment over the different constituents of your life and the life that it affords for you and your family. You, it sounds like you're happy with the lifestyle that you've created here. Am, am I right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I sit down at the end of the day and when, when I first bought my, when my wife and I first bought our house, we had a little one, he was like one and we're sitting in this house and remember it was like right at the end of all that financial chaos that we, you know, it was basically like, we just out, you know, like, where's that move, that movie where like they outrun the tornado by like a half a second, Twister, you know what I mean? Like I think, right? something like that. Right. It, like, yeah. it felt like that at that time. It was like, ah, oh, we're, we're my kid fucked on this one. <laughs> right. And then you, you spit back out the other side of it and it's like, holy shit. And then the storm clears and the sun comes out and I'm sitting on my porch with my wife and my son and my wife's pregnant at, you know, with their second one. And I go, look at the view and remember, like, we get to have all of this, like, even before it had any of the, the food forest, even before it had any of the gardens, it's like, it's just such a fucking awesome place to live. And we get to have this and goddamn, I mean, I got it cheap too, right? It's like, and that's the other thing that goes along with a lot of this. You don't need a lot of money to be happy. Mm. Like, I don't have to be overwhelmingly wealthy in like dollars because i'm wealthy in like freedom. what i have the, the other stuff that i have there's 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 wealth in that freedom there's wealth in that security there's wealth in that like just the 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 thing that we're building and it's like it's getting better all the time so it's kind of like every day i sit down you know my wife and I, we sit down after we get the kids to bed and all that stuff it's like hey good night we'll see you in the morning all that shit and it's like what's going on tomorrow and it's like whatever happens. Let's, let's see what happens. You know, it's like, I'm going to wake up when I wake up and then <laughs> we're going to do the day. And it's like, 
I don't know if, you know, I, I could wake up tomorrow and one of my pigs could be laying flat dead and I'd be like, oh, that shit sucks. Mm. Uh, you know, because that's kind of, you know, it's an investment, but it's not going to break the bank. It's not going to, you know, I'm going to have to dig a big hole, but, you know, I mean, like, just get the shovel and move on with it. You know what I mean? It's like, but I'm happy for every single moment that I get of it because what else are you going to do? Are you going to go to a job? Are you going to like, I mean, not that this isn't a job, but it's like, you know, I've got flexible hours as much as I can possibly have. Mm. And obviously there's obligations outside of all this stuff and people have to get places and do things and money needs to be you know, earned and everything else. But uh, when there's enough, you know, how many apples do you need to eat? Right. It's yeah. like, well, what do you do with the extra ones? And that's the way I feel about dollars. It's kind of like, do you have enough? Yes, I have enough. Do you need more? I don't need more, but I'd like a few more, but I don't need to bust my hump and destroy my well-being and ruin my kids' lives and flatten my land in order to get 2x what I've got. I'm good. Right. You know, it's like ha- you know, and- happiness is happiness. Joy is joy. Love is love. Whatever. Money is eh, whatever. You know what I mean? It's just it's not the most concerning thing to me because I would never trade any of what I have for more of those green pieces of paper. Yeah. Well, that, that's exactly the, the point I was just going to bring up is like the, the distinction between wealth and money or how, you, how one defines wealth, like all those things that you just mentioned, like love and freedom and joy and you know all, all the stuff we've been discussing. I think we would both probably define those things as markers of true wealth. Right, not just another zero, another zero, another zero in the bank account, or even number zero on the Satoshi stack, as as awesome as that would be, you know, like because, and this this is a very important question because it will determine what motivates you, right? What you strive to achieve and build and accomplish and become, like what do you value, and as a result, what is wealth? And I I do think again, like I think a lot of, and maybe it's a self selection thing, people coming into Bitcoin, but I think it's also in large part. This, these thoughts kind of emerging in in Bitcoiners' heads, thinking about this stuff as a result of being involved in all this and trying to wrap their head around it. And this this idea of like, well, what is it I'm really striving to accomplish here? Like, what is wealth to me? As a result, what kind of life do I want to build? And it seems to me that more and more are saying what you just said. It's like, do I really consider another big house or another car or you know this or that material thing a marker of wealth. Does that really fill me up with the type of emotion that I've recognized is like the one that I want? Does it, does it nourish me in that way? Does it lift me up in that way? Does it make me feel a sense of, you know, that I'm in control of my life, that I have a certain degree of freedom, that I can actualize the things I want to actualize, that I can build what I want to build, both family and and otherwise. I think a lot of people are coming to the conclusion, not really. Like I don't, I don't see how another car is going to give me that. But I can see how having more independence over how I raise my kids or the food that I eat or the people that I interact with or my own schedule, like all those things, those put me in a position where I'm able to feel those things that I genuinely get the most from more. I get to feel those more. So yeah, like I want to pursue things that are going to allow me to accumulate that type of wealth. And as you said, I think you know, many of many people are realizing that it's it's not just about more financial capacity. There's some there's something else going on there, and uh, it's really interesting to see this shift and and to see people having these conversations. And and like 
I don't think it needs to be said, but I'm obviously not saying that money isn't important. And, and, you know, the more Satoshis you have into the future, the more you're going to be able to do those things that do you do derive value from and that do that do fulfill you and that do help actualize things that you want to see in the world. But it's a market shift to be, uh, describing or rather defining wealth in these terms that, that you just did rather than what has become, you know, the norm and the dominant definition in the culture, which is just more stuff, right? More, more financial capacity and more stuff. And, uh, I, I have a, been having a lot of these conversations and sometimes people say like, not every Bitcoiner wants to, you know, move back to the land and start a farm and all that kind of stuff. And of course that's true. Absolutely. But I do think for the reasons that we already described, Bitcoin, what it represents in terms of kind of bringing things back into alignment, bringing tethering things back into reality, will serve to incentivize a more truthful congruence or integration with the forces of the environment that we must contend with. So those would be the natural world, as well as the social world, as well as the forces that are happening within ourselves. And so, you know, I don't think everyone's going to become a farmer again, but I do think that element of genuine integration with fundamental and real aspects of the various environments that we're contending with will be brought back to those people. So even if, you know, you don't appreciate the whole homesteading thing, I think we will continue to cultivate environments where that degree, that type of truthful relationship is more a part of all of our lives. And so you will be able to be exposed to that ethic that we were discussing earlier, even if you're not necessarily, you know, tending your own land and growing your own chickens and growing, you know, that kind of thing. I think it will permeate all the different environments that people seek meaning in, I guess is one way to put it. Absolutely. I think, you know, everybody has a path um, and everybody should pursue the path that, that they feel is, is calling to them, right? You can't pursue every path, but I think when you're talk when we're talking about things like anytime you can get control over something in your life where now it relieves you of the stress of having to worry about it. Mm. Like I don't have to worry about my kid getting harassed at school by somebody and then my kid having some sort of issue with that and not being able to come to me because we don't spend all the time together. And like, and then, then that shit just, it just gets worse and worse and worse. Right. So it's like bullying or, you know, especially with social media nonsense and all that bullshit that goes on. Like, I just, I thought like, Hey, you know what, what if I just took that, took that part out of the equation, right? Like would, would things be less stressful? Would things be less shitty? And it turns out that, yeah, they are less stressful. They are less shitty and you, nobody misses it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's like, and so there, whatever, whatever you think is the, uh, the path that you should pursue when you find truth in that path. And by truth, I guess what I would mean is, is it working out for you the way you thought it would work out for you? And are you comfortable or are you happy continuing on this path? Something like that. Right. It's like mm -hmm. if, if this thing, if I put this thing in the dirt, and it grows and it makes me food and I don't have to stress out about that anymore. There's a truth there, right? Like if, if I put the time in and I teach the kids to read and to do some basic math, and then I let them pursue their, their dreams. And then they don't have to stumble into 
you know, some of that mono education, you know, monocrop education, right? Like right, right. Where, you know, it's like uh, the, the smart kid who I knew kids in school who, because they were smart, they were punished because the teacher was like, you're getting ahead of me. You need to stop. And like, I think the worst thing you can do to a child's mind is to tell them not to think or to stop or to wait. Like, mm-hmm. no, 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 no. If you want to read a book, read a book. If you don't want to go to math class right this second, well, I understand. You can review that lesson tomorrow. It does have to get done, but it doesn't have to get done because Miss Becky over here is screaming at you and it has to get done right now. Like, mm-hmm. you know what it's like, right? It's like if if you're if you're stressed out about a thing and you got a shitty night's sleep, you'd like to sleep in, right? Well, that's not an option for kids in, you know, the the regular uh schooling system they have to get up that bus shows up at a certain time you have math class at a certain time there's no optionality here and it's like you can see how like you know you see these kids get driven nuts and then it makes them hate they don't hate learning no child hates learning they love to learn they just hate being forced to do shit they don't want to do right now yeah i hate doing shit i don't want to do right now right Mm -hmm. it's like hey it's raining i don't want to go out and I'm not going to go out and weed my garden. I do have to feed my rabbits, but I mean like, Hey, you know what? There's obligations. There's things I have to do. But if I didn't, if I hated the rain that much, I wouldn't have the rabbits, right? Like I'd find a way around. There's a, there's, there's, there's optionality and let them find their path. You find your path. If it's not homesteading for you, great. Do a thing, build, build on the lightning network. That's awesome, right? Like go do that. I'm not that guy, but I will Mm. use it. If you build it, just like if I hand you eggs, you will eat them if you eat eggs, right? It's like, you don't want to, you don't want to raise chickens and kick around chicken shit. Fine. I'll do it for you. But also, could you just figure out a way that I can pay you in sets? <laughs> quick, quick, quick. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. we'll, we'll find a way. You do your thing. I'll do my thing. But do, do a thing that you get enjoyment out of and that produces something uh, long-term. And I think it just makes for a better world. And I think to anybody who's thinking to themselves, uh, I don't know where to start or uh, I'm going to just kind of like cookie, pick a cookie cutter path that I've seen, right? It's like, oh, there's, there's, there's permaculture. I'll just do that. Don't do that. Find a small thing, start there, plant the seed, see where it leads you. You might be a marketing person. You might be a tech person. You might be a, any kind of person, right? You might be the kind of person who's just, hey man, I, 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 I invested in this thing in like 2010 and I just want to surf. I'm Dude, done. <laughs> go surf. I want you to surf. I want you to surf and I want you to surf awesome. And then put that shit online so I can watch it. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. or something, or, but I think you end up with better people that way. I think you've got totally. a lot of, a lot of people nowadays who are, they're driving themselves nuts, trying to turn, they're trying to turn one of those giant cargo ships. They're trying to turn it way left and then way right. And they're wondering why nothing's changing. And it's like, mm. cause those things take a lot of time to turn, right? It's like, it takes like, I used to work on, on, on boats and it's like, takes like two and a half miles or three miles or seven miles to stop one of those damn things. And somehow you think like you're going to change everything by protesting some dumb shit. It's like, yeah. put the sign down, find a thing that's going to make your heart feel fulfilled and do that because this isn't working, right? We're dry. Everybody's kind of driving each other nuts. We don't need to do that. I want you to mm-hmm. go and enjoy something. I want to see a smile on your face and I don't give a flying fuck, you know? about all the other nonsense that's between us, right? So it's like, 
go have fun. Find your yeah. path, do that thing, and we'll all be better off for it. Everybody totally. will. Extremely well put, and I totally agree. And you know, it's you mentioned the the the, the kind of fractal reflection, if you want to put it that way, or the same process happening on different scales. It's just always, it, it's always so amusing how it shows up, you know, like you were just saying about how kids in a class, you know, they're being yelled at to learn a thing and they're like, I don't want to learn a thing. And as a result of being in that environment, either they get beat down, the teacher gets beat down, they're not cultivated in the right way. They end up not flourishing into what they could flourish into. The same is true for that, like stalk of wheat, right on that monoculture you know, the monocrop uh, farm is like the right. piece of wheat's like, I don't want to grow that way. And they're like, you'll fucking grow that way. And here's the GMO and here's the, the fertilizer and here's the, this and the, that and the pesticides yeah. and the, you will fucking grow the way I want you to grow, you know? And it, yeah. it's, and it destroys. And as a result of that attitude, that, that way of engaging, that way of, of acting, you get degradation because it's not congruent with some broader principle at, about how flourishing takes place as a result of a harmonizing between forces rather than a clashing. And I think it perfectly applies to agriculture. It perfectly applies to education. It perfectly applies to the development of an individual. It perfectly applies to market dynamics, um, you know, between market actors, between people in a society and on and on and on and on. I'm sure we could identify a million more where that same principle acts in that way. And we should be more wise and we should, we should observe that more and do our best to apply it to as many of those areas as we can. And it's certainly been interesting to hear how you've done that in your life, man. And um, this has been great. I, I I could go on forever, but I, I, I don't want to take up too much of your time. Was there anything um, you know, wanted to get off your chest or we didn't discuss that you wanted to touch on before we shut it down? Uh, well, I mean, I think I could talk forever because it's one of the things I'm actually pumped about doing all the time and I'm <laughs> chatterbox, but um, maybe we could do it again sometime. We'll definitely do it again. A hundred percent. We could talk. Uh, we could talk psychedelics. We could talk right. Uh, rites of passage. We could talk some other interesting things. Maybe. Definitely. Definitely. Well, well, let's talk. Um, when should we do that? I mean, we could keep going right now. Hit me. It's raining. I got jack shit to do. All right. Well, you hit me. But both, either one of those things would be great. <laughs> well, so I've, I've always been interested with this with this concept, right? Uh, passage rights for young people, right? This is a thing totally. that I, I think, so I grew up in the 80s and 90s and, you know, we just were let out of the house, right? It was just like, hey, go out and play. When should you be home? When the streetlights come on. Okay, I'll be back then. And whatever you got into, you got into. But if if you got into some, you know, you got into some trouble, you got yourself hurt, or you know, whatever, whatever, you kind of had to, you had to, you had to deal with that yourself. There was no like, oh, I skinned my knee. I got to text mom and have her come down to the park to come pick me up. Right. None of that shit. And I think one of the things that a lot of kids, a lot of people in general, I think, I think. Um, People should have to go through some shit. Now, I prefer that they go through it voluntarily, right? But um, this is a thing. Passage rights have always interested me, whether you're talking about, you know, like the bullet ant in the glove thing, wherever that goes on. You know, like there's these things that uh, kind of mark parts of your life, right? Like 
there's a moment where you don't walk and then there's a moment where you do walk. And mm. then part of the sacrifice of like learning to walk is you got to fall down and bump your ass a few times. Right. But yeah. like you pay the price, right? You, you bump your ass and then yeah, you learn to walk. If you bumped your ass and then you never got up again, where are you? Right. So it happens as you grow, right? Like and one of the great things about having my kids around all the time is that you get to see them do things that make your heart as a parent go, oh, shit, right? It's like, oh my God. I like one time I'm inside the house, I'm working on cooking lunch, doing that thing. And my daughter's like 20 feet up in a tree, right? At like five, she's five years old. She's <laughs> 20 feet up in a tree, hanging there. And I'm like, I wanted to open the window and yell like, if you fucking fall, you're going to bust your ass. But I think if I had done that, she'd have fallen because she'd have gotten nervous and she would have been taken out of the zone. Right. 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 So it's like, let her do it. And then well, what happens if she falls? And I think this is a thing that like modern, I want to like, you've heard the term helicopter parenting, right? Sure. Yeah. Have you heard lawnmower parents? No. A lawnmower parent isn't just the helicopter parents watching the kid do everything from afar. Lawnmower parent is getting rid of all the obstacles in the way. So that kid never has to have any struggles. And I see a lot of lawnmower parents out there clearing the grass, right. clearing the weeds, picking up the sticks, da, 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 whatever. And it, it was a struggle when I was, you know, as a young parent, right? You've got little kids and you just, you love the living shit out of them and you don't want them to get hurt. But it's like kind of part of living is like getting hurt. Yeah. Like you're going to have to go through some shit, right? Like, like I, I told you earlier, my daughter had her arm broken at Taekwondo and it's like, she didn't. She didn't fall on the ground yelling and screaming. She fell on the ground. She went, ow. And she sat there for a minute. And my wife was like, can you get up? And she's like, I can't get up. My arm hurts. And it was like, she wasn't screaming, hollering, crying. Because she's fallen down a million times. She's not scared of falling down. But this time she fell and something wasn't working right. But she didn't freak out. She was like strong enough to know, okay, something's not working right here. We can sort it out. So they came home. I was like, all right, you still look like you're pretty banged up. Let me see if I can move your arm. And, you know, if you've ever broken a bone and someone tries to move it, not fun, right? Mm. And so she's like, ah, and she kind of, you know, she teared up a little bit. I was like, all right, we'll get you to the hospital. We'll get this taken care of. That was it. It was no big to do. It wasn't an emotional nightmare for this child because she falls down and gets bumped all the time. She's bounced off a rock. She's fallen out of tree. She's gotten stuck in trees, right? She like runs through thorn bushes and you know, she comes home like bleeding half the time. It's like, why are you bleeding? I don't even know, dad. It's like, you went out, you weren't bleeding. And now you came home and you are bleeding. You don't know where you started that process happened. And it's like, no, she, this kid is made of fucking steel, right? She just <laughs> plows through and she just does it. It's like, she just goes for it, right? It's like, ah, when she was a little kid, she's like a little baby. And there was a bumblebee. And she's like looking at this little bumblebee. She, I don't know, she was even two years old. And she grabs the bumblebee and the bumblebee does exactly what you think it does. It stung her. And she, ow. And she looked at her hand and she went, ow. And then she shook her hand and she was like, kind of like, oh, that, that sucked. And then the next, I mean, she didn't yell and scream and hoot and holler and she didn't make a big to-do of it. This kid is like tough as nails. The next day she goes outside and there's a bumblebee and it's like on a flower and she's looking at it. And I go, remember what happened yesterday? And she goes, grabs the bumblebee gets stung again and she goes oh and then you could see in her head she goes that's what that was right like okay now i get it right like this thing's not to be fucked with but like <laughs> it's 
it's a little rite of passage when you're a little kid to get stung by a critter, right? It's like, mm. you shouldn't get all, you shouldn't flip out about it because I didn't flip out about it, right? I wasn't like, oh, don't touch it. I didn't move the bumblebee out of the way. I let her have her moment, right? It's like, go ahead and do it again and see what happens, right? And so from like a little age, right, you got to let, let kids do these things. And so I think what's missing in a lot of people's lives is these hard times that kind of make you stronger, right? So, I mean, you can take this, you know, from like, hey, little bumblebees to, I don't know, um, you want to walk on hot coals, you want to um, body suspension, right? Like the bullet ant glove thing. Like there's all these things that cultures have developed over time to basically say, hey, dude, it's time you toughen up. And mm -hmm. I don't want to see any tears. And this is like, this is a test of you. This is not going to kill you, but it is going to suck. And can you handle it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I, I totally I, agree. Sorry. I, I was interested. In, sorry. I think we're having a little bit of a connection thing there. Um, but I was interested to, to hear your viewpoint on those types of things. Cause I know you're a Muay Thai guy, right? Yeah. And uh, this, well, almost a year now, I, I started doing BJJ last November, which has been great. That's awesome. And so, like, how do you feel about those types of things uh, when it comes to, you know, expanding? Uh, what, what do you think that does for you, not in the physical, but in the mental? Oh, it's massive. I, I've, I'm a huge proponent that we've lost... Um, well, that the, the degree to which we have stopped doing these things like rites of passage um, in modern culture has has been a huge detrimental thing. Did I lose you? Okay. <laughs> I'm not touching anything this time. I tried All to right. close one window and ended up closing two. I'm an idiot. One more time from the top. Okay. We're live again. Um. Welcome back, everybody. Yeah. So the the, we're, <laughs> the the question was about uh, rites of passage and stuff. And um, basically, I mean, first of all, I agree that they they were an instrumental part in many traditional or ancient cultures. And I think many reasons why they've kind of dissipated. But one certainly has to be that uh, we've become so you know, as a result of technological advancement, partially we've become so comfortable that it it seems as though perhaps uh they're less necessary but i would say the the kind of pervasive or accessible comfort has actually made conscious intentional discomfort even more important because it's such an integral aspect of character that if you're not getting it naturally you should be injecting it you know quote unquote unnaturally or intentionally and i think um you know part of the reason one of the things I mentioned after you had dropped out, but like one of the reasons why we have, you know, a lot of 40 year old teenagers in the world is partially because of that, because, you know, the whole life has been very padded and hasn't been confronted with the right type of adversity. And I think what rites of passage do is not only deliver that adversity, but also as you're developing, knowing that you're going to be confronting something like that, it helps you orient your development and, you know, your skills and that kind of stuff in preparation for that type of a goal. And then it acts as a demarcation point for saying, after this this point, 
you're an adult. After this point, you're going to be expected to act a certain way. After this point, you're going to be expected to take on certain responsibilities. And that's traditionally been kind of the purpose of rites of passage or coming of age ceremonies or or, initi or initiations of various kinds. And so I, I think in this world that we've been kind of describing, this more integrated world, this more sane, thoughtful world, they will be brought back in many respects. I mean, I know a lot of, I've had this conversation with a lot of Bitcoiners and they definitely want to, they, they definitely want their offspring to be exposed to certain rites of passage for the benefit that it will accrue to their character in many ways. And, and I think they'll become, they'll once again, become an integral part of the different cultures that emerge out of the era that we're currently in. So I think they're super important. And to the extent that we have them kind of passively today, you know, they're not as ritualized and they're not as identified as rites of passage, but certainly some people seek them out. And I think, you know, you can do the hand in the fire ant thing and you can do the ordeal poisons and you can do the, you know, drop someone off a week in the jungle and see if they survive. But those are all kind of intense and maybe not super appropriate. But I, I do think combat uh, sports are a really good one because they help to develop a skill. They help to build character. They help to build humility. Uh, they help to build community with other people that are working towards something. And you develop those kind of bonds of camaraderie and brotherhood or sisterhood or whatever. Um, so I think that's a great way. And my, you know, I, I definitely wish I had gotten involved in that stuff earlier. Um, for one reason, because there, you know, there wasn't much, um, certainly physical adversity, you know, I played sports and stuff growing up, but again, like I, I wish there had been rites of passage when, when I was uh, younger, but also I just, I really enjoy them both for the, the physicality of them and for the the component of character building, you know, like I still, like I come out of the gym many days after jujitsu and I'm like, kind of, I have to get back to a place where I'm cool. Cause I'll come out and like, if I, if I didn't do well that day, or if I got, you know, beat up or whatever, I'll be like, I'll feel bad. I'll be like, fuck, like I fucked up. And then I have to kind of talk to myself a bit and be like, what are you talking about? You didn't like, you're in, you're in the practice room and you're, you're learning a skill and you, you know, you got beat up by someone who's been doing it for like 10 years longer than you. You didn't, this is not something you need to be down about. You just need to see what you can learn from the experience and show up again the next day and do it again. And like, and, and cultivating the, the proper perspective to encounter those sorts of things is tremendously valuable. And um, so I think, and this, this is what's kind of cool about the reemergence of combat sports. You know, I've been a UFC fanatic for, well, how long has it been? Probably like 15 years. I don't know when the first Ultimate Fighter came out or when like the Griffin Bonner, that famous fight happened, but it was probably like close to 15 years ago. And uh, so I've been a huge fan and obviously it's becoming a bigger and bigger sport in the world and more people are practicing martial arts of various kinds. And um, I think that's a good thing. And I think it kind of speaks to this desire to inject that type of, of adversity into people's lives for all the benefits that it represents, you know, both physical, physiological, psychological character, community, like it ticks a lot of boxes and it introduces a type of adversity that I think we've lost. You know, we, we often talk about the fiat era being soft, right. And about kind of society in the world today being so soft that it's, you know, look at, look what happened in the last two years. Um, and I think there's a yearning for 
well, to not be so soft and to, and then perhaps a recognition that that's not the optimal way of being, that there's something fundamental that's missing. And it seems like a lot of people are turning to combat sports to help or to explore ways of maybe filling up that, that gap. And I, I, I'm a huge supporter and it's a, it's a big part of my life. So I'm down with it. Yeah. That's it. like when my kids were little, it was like, we got to get them involved, you know, with, uh, something, uh, cause you know, with the homeschooling thing and homesteading, we're out in the middle of nowhere. It's one of the bigger questions that a lot of people ask is, well, what do you do about socialization? Right. Yeah, exactly. And you know, there's, there's two sides to that coin. And I would say on the negative side, it's like, well, uh, you know, do you, uh, do you just send your kid to the school? Cause that's where all the other kids are. And then what happens to your kid when they get mixed in with a bunch of shitty kids, right? right? It's like, <laughs> I mean, like shitty and like any which way you want to take that, you know what I mean? Like some of these like Play-Doh kids, you know I mean? like they're just like, they're built out of Play-Doh. It's like, they're just, they're just this malleable thing. They just go where you push them. And then it's just like, they're just like, I'm here now. And then mm. my mom says that I got to go do this now. And then I go over here and I do this now. And then when they stop at the store with this, I tell the, I tell the clown with the thing, I could shove the food in my face and then I go home and I go to sleep, right? It's like, okay, that, that kid's just gonna, he's just gonna mush his way through life. And I don't want my kid, not that I don't want my kid around that kid, but it's like, I don't want that that behavior rubbing off on my kid. Right, right, right. right. It's like, I have a responsibility to my kid. And at the same token, I don't want, you know, some shitty little kid who's getting bullied at home or by other kids, like taking his anger out on my kids and everything else. So um, I kind of thought, well, you know, when it comes to socialization, what what society would you like your kid to be part of? And so we we place them in places where they can uh, learn a skill, right, and and do a thing, right. So it's like, oh, there's there's music class. Like, let's get you involved in in this music thing if you're involved, if you want to be involved in uh, this thing. And both my kids just took to Taekwondo, like, boom. And it's the only it's kind of the only game in town where 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 we're at. And it's awesome, right? They've got a great teacher. The guy is super nice. I mean, like, if this guy, like, if you didn't know, it's like one of those things, right? Like, you don't even need to know. This guy could just bust you up in, like, a thousand different ways. Uh, you'd think, uh, like, oh, it's like this grandpa-looking guy. And it's like, eh, you know, third-degree black belt. Maybe we're just not going to fuck shit. with this guy. <laughs> yeah, you're right? It's like, he goes away on vacation and comes back all busted up with a black eye. It's like, where the hell were you at? <laughs> like that sort of shit it's like he's a super right. awesome guy nothing but the best right but like it got my kids involved and you know at first you go the first i guess most people's first instinct is like well what happens if they get hit and it's like that's kind of what's going to happen here like mm. you're gonna you know when they're little right they're gonna you know they're gonna spar a little bit and everybody's got pads and helmets and all this other whatnot but like my son's a red belt at this point and it's like it's kind of like a little bit of no joke anymore. You know what I mean? Like you go to a tournament and it's like, those kids don't know you and you have mm. to fight a kid that's bigger than you. And you have to fight, you know, like in some cases, like depending upon the tournament, you're fighting adults, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's like, like, like contact. Right. But like, fair enough, but Hey, you have to, you know, even if you're doing like a weapons form or some shit like that, it's like, you have to present yourself professionally in front of people who know exactly what this is supposed to look like. And there's no, this goes back to the truth. Like if you're, if you're in front of like five black belts and they know exactly what this form is supposed to look like and you don't perform it well, you're going to find out. And no, you know, mom and dad aren't going to be there to say, it's okay. You did your, you know what I mean? Like, well, you know, maybe they have a different interpretation of the way it's supposed to be. Hey, you either have a trophy or you don't. 
right? It's like you either won the fight or you didn't, right? Like we all know, like you watch the yeah UFC man. Like I remember seeing those like the first ones, like first first UFC when it was like yeah. no holds barred. You know, you got dudes getting teeth kicked out and everything else, right? Like all that stuff, like early early. And I was like, what is this nightmare? But <laughs> there's no lying to it, right? Like if you yeah. get you take three elbows to the head and like you're now not a conscious person. There's a truth in that. You fucked up. Right? Totally. Like, the, the slogan of the UFC is as real as it gets. It's perfect, right? It, I mean, it's like it's real as it fucking gets. Two people go in and the truth is revealed. Exactly. And so to watch that sport evolve and like I, I, my kids and I, we sit and my, you know, our whole family, we sit and we'll watch. And it's like just to see in just like the last few years, right? Like somebody comes up with a somebody comes up with a game where you go, oh, wait a minute, that's a new thing, right? Like yeah. like this leg kick game, right? It's like when that low leg kick came in, it was like, Calf nobody kicks, thought yeah. like, oh, yeah, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just going to whack you right here. And it like, I remember sitting and going like, what the fuck does that do? And then like two rounds later, you go, oh, that's what that does. Mm. It's like, oh, that's, a, that's an interesting new thing that no, you know, somebody had to come up with that, right? You're constantly looking at the jujitsu schools or whatever. And it's like, man, they, always innovating, always innovating. And I always try to like put that into... You know, you know, hey kid, check this out. You think you got something crazy going on? Look at this guy. Look, look what this guy <laughs> figured out, right? Like there's a all but again, there's a there's a truth in that. And I think as you know, to to a, like a like a passage right, I think knowing what you're made of is super important to people. And I think yeah, whether it's a child or whether it's an adult, you should you should walk into that and see what you're made of. Uh, the thing is, it, one, it should be voluntary, right? Obviously, mm -hmm. right? You don't want to enforce that on, you know, you shouldn't say like, hey, kid, uh, you're going to go do this. I never did that. I was like, hey, you want to, you know, my wife and I were like, hey, there's a Taekwondo class. You guys want to check it out? And at the time, my son was into it. My daughter, she was like, no, I'm not, I don't have any interest. And she was pretty little at the time anyway, but he's been at it for, I don't know, nine, seven, seven years, something like that. And it's yeah. like, three, three times a week, Taekwondo, right? It's like, you've got this going on, then this going on, then, you know, we have a schedule and you go and you, and to watch them get better and to watch them, you know, figure out, figure out a new technique, figure out like, oh, there's, my, my son is always in this, it's like this back and forth battle with this other, like this black belt in his class. And it's like, they, they put them against each other. And sometimes he comes out on top and sometimes the other one comes out on top, but the, at the end of it, it's always respect. And it's always, uh, I want to do this again. Right. Like, I think mm. like, get me back in there. Let me try this again. It didn't work. What I did last time didn't work, but damn it, I'm going to make it work. I'm going to try to find a way to faint here and strike here and, and do a thing. And I think like kids crave that shit. Yeah. It's like, it's a great way do. to channel like the type of energy that they have for sure. You know? And I, I, I kind of go back and forth. Cause like, I'm, I, incredibly staunch believer that like you need something physical like a physical challenge or physicality struggle in your life like whether you're a developing kid or whether you're an adult like you know and, and i i romanticize it by thinking about like the days of plato right and like him and all the homies would just wrestle each other and beat the shit out of each other and then go and like you know sit sit on the marble terrace and talk about philosophy you know and like right, and, yeah and, when and, you're and, all exhausted that's when you have time to think right like you have that moment of clarity after like rolling for right a bit and you're like yeah like that's that's why kids need recess right like let them run around like totally. do math class and then run around and then come back and 
Demo but it's all, <laughs> it's also it's also like very much an embodiment of the philosophy itself, right? Like you're trying to, you know, come up with all these insights or wisdom about like how to engage the world and what, you know, what is the meaning of the world. And it's like there's something lacking if if you're not putting both your mind and your body in the position to answer that question in the best possible like affirmative manner that you can, right? Like it's your mind and body. They both have to move through space. They both have to contend with reality. They both have to contend with the chaos of the world and try to turn it into some form of order. And so like, I, I'm, I'm fairly critical of like people that are just intellectuals and, and totally neglect the the physical aspect of existence, because not only do I think it's important for moving through life, but as you just said, like, I think it delivers a tremendous uh, intellectual boost, you know, whether it's after training or whether it's the humility you derive from it. Like there's so many different ways in which like, physical exertion and struggle can amplify or improve your psychological or your intellectual capacity. And so for that reason, and, and Plato, I, I believe the, uh, that was a nickname that meant broad back because he was a wrestler. So, uh, I do romanticize about that, but I say all that and, and, and thinking it's super important, but then, you know, there are people that like just were so, focused on one domain of their character, right? Their intellect or musical prowess or, you know, savants in whatever care, uh, category and even lesser than that. But like, they just, yeah, artists is a great sort of example. Like they just, they were consumed. They were obsessed by whatever it is that like was in their mind. And they just pursued that with singular focus, like, you know, body be damned, health be damned, social uh, relationships be damned. Like, I'm just going to become the best fill in the blank composer, artists, whatever. And like, I don't know, not, not that, not that this is a relevant question because I obviously have no control over it, but like, I wouldn't want to create a circumstance where that wasn't able to flourish in the world, just out of some notion that a certain balance had to be struck. So, um, I think, you know, maybe it's case by case as you, as you, as we were discussing through this conversation, as you raise your kids, you know, you just kind of put stuff in front of them and you, you let them dictate to a certain degree, but, and then I think also if, if you're not going to have physical challenges, then I, then I still think you can get, uh, well, you obviously can get challenges in other formats, right? So let's just say it's, it's, and it's not going to be physicality, but you could still do a rite of passage in the sense that like, all right, well, like your rite of passage or your kind of coming of age takes a different form, but it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's performing your music to, you know, a certain audience, or it's, it's, it's encountering something that's equally discomfort on whatever plane that you've been kind of practicing on. Maybe that's the, the proper way to look at it and not just assume that it has to be physical for everyone. Although my little asterisk is it probably does for the vast majority of people. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think a lot of time, if, if the, if the endeavor is not a physical endeavor, right. Um, I think there ought to be, or there's a there's a good place for doing something physical. Even uh, will help you in whatever endeavor you're engaged in, right? So, like, uh, uh, if if I have to do physical work to make what I have work, right? And I feel right. better after I do that physical work. Mm. Uh, but you know, at some point or another, it's like, okay, I. I, I made the swales by hand. I, I, I dug trenches for weeks on end. I build fence. I do all this stuff. And then at some point you're going to go like, well, 
that work is done. And now I have animals on the land. I've got the food forest is growing or, you know, there was a physical thing that had to happen before the, the payoff of the emotional or the uh, intellectual or whatever thing happens. But I think the integrating some sort of physicality into your life, regardless if it has anything to do with whatever your other endeavors are, is going to make all those other endeavors that much better for it, right? Because mm-hmm. uh, there are days when like, hey, man, I just got to mow this half of this field and I have to go out there and I have to spend six hours. And it's like, it's, of course, it's on a 90 degree day and the humidity is 90%. And it's like, it's always the shittiest day, right? It's like, uh, I'll give you a good, a, good, a good example. It's like every year I have to cut firewood, right? Like I, I run a wood stove. I don't, I don't heat with oil. I don't heat with gas. I heat with wood. And I live in a very cold place in a very old house that's very uninsulated. So it takes a lot of wood, <laughs> which means it takes a lot of work, right? So it's like, I have to go out and I have to spend weeks in the woods and I have to run a chainsaw and I have to haul this wood out of the woods to where I can get it to a road, where I can get it to where I can get it to my house. And then I have to stack it. They say like fire, cutting firewood, firewood heats you three times. It heats you when you, when you cut it, it heats you when you stack it and then it heats you when you burn it, right? So it's like, most people just turn a switch on on the wall and it's like yeah it's warm now like i'm cold i just turn this dial like for me i have to go outside with a wheelbarrow when it's negative 10 and i have to go get the wood right like i have to go outside and the wood i'm picking up is stuff i cut when it was 90 degrees outside or i had to pick it up when it was 90 degrees outside and that shit's not fun but like you know what's awesome sitting in my living room with my family and sitting in front of that nice warm wood stove and it's like hey it's winter we ain't got shit to do except feed the fire right like the Mm -hmm. work is done but that was you know that's a thing and when my son got old enough i was like hey buddy you're gonna help me haul brush today right it's like i'm gonna cut the trees down i'm gonna cut all the shitties you know like the sticks and the twigs we're not bringing those home but we got to bring the rest of it home so i'm gonna cut it up and you're gonna take all the stuff that's in the middle of the field I, i work with this guy he actually well, I clear this field for this guy. So anyway, he says, you cut these trees down, you can have all the wood. You do the work, you get the wood. So it's great. Easy peasy. It's essentially free, right? I mean, monetarily, it's free. I just got to do all the work. Yeah. So I knock the trees down, I limb them out, and then I cut everything and anything my son can't pick up, I move. But everything he can move, he moves. And it's like, dad, this sucks. Like, when's lunchtime, right? It's like, not always, but it's always like, you sit there and you know how good a pastrami sandwich tastes at like one o'clock in the afternoon when you're sweating oh, your yeah. ass off. You know what I mean? It's like, you get the, like, I remember the first, the first time I took him out in the woods and it was like, he's hauling brush the whole day, just dragging limbs into the woods. And he just had this look on his face like, dude, fuck you. And I was like, it's going to be all right. Right. So like I stopped, <laughs> stopped the saw and I was like, I'm going to refuel in a minute, but let's, let's have lunch. Right. Open up the backpack, pull out the sandwiches. Here's your bottle of water. And the, the look on that kid's face when he started eating that sandwich was like, are you kidding me? It's like the best thing I've ever eaten in my whole life. It's just yeah. a simple pastrami sandwich, right? It's like, but the work that he had to do to get it made that thing that much more awesome. And I think that's what a lot of kids are missing. And I think that's what a lot of adults are missing. It's like, and the payoff, especially like, again, you track it all the way back until wintertime, you've done the work. Now all you got to do is feed that wood stove. Man, it's nice and warm and I'm well-fed. And I did that. 
right? Yeah. I didn't just I didn't just pay a guy to stick a hose in the back of my house and fill me up with oil and then I just turn the dial, right? That's easy, right? 78 degrees is awesome when you don't have to pay for it. Like, I mean, you pay for it, but you know, if you can just turn a dial and it's 78, oh, that's awesome. But if you mm-hmm. have to, if you want your house to be 78 degrees and you have to heat that shit with wood, there's a lot more wood to cut. If you want, you know, between 78 and 72 degrees, there's a lot more wood to be cut, right? So like you got to do the work. And I think that's what a lot of people are missing. And I think in, in the same regard to not necessarily being uh, a one-to-one with battle or combat or whatever. It's like, you you have to do this work and then you mm-hmm. get this reward, but that reward might show up very much later. Yeah. Like weeks later, years later, whatever it is. And it's like, you appreciate it. Well, that's kind of, and, and I, I love that example. And I, like, I'm smiling when you're telling it because it, it's my, my parents have a, a cottage and when I visit home, you know, it's not, not as, this, they have electric heating, but we still like, there'll be a couple quarts of wood dropped off by a local a guy in the area and we'll stack it, you know, up in part of the driveway and then we'll bring it down, you know, to put in the fire. And it's not as hardcore as what you described, but it takes, you know, three or four hours of just kind of doing arm loads and walking it over. And like the beer after you have like a cold beer after that. And it's like, there's no, like maybe a beer after a hard workout, it's kind of the same thing, but the the principle is like, the reward is better, the harder you work for it. Right. And, and also to your point about like how far you can hold off on the gratification. I mean, there's a, there's a very kind of biblical principle there, which is like, how much can you give and how long can you wait to prolong the reward? And like, if you, and Jordan Peterson talks about this kind of thing all the time, but if like you maximize both of both of them out, that's probably where, what you should, you should strive to do. You know, and that's, that may be what delivers the most satisfying, uh, experience of life to you. You know, even if it's hard to connect the dots in the moment that you're doing it, it takes a certain maturity to, to approach it that way, of course. Absolutely. And I think the earlier you can instill that in young people, the better off that they're going to be. Yeah, absolutely. Totally. And you know, the, which is why, like, I think the, like, again, whether it's combat or whether it's these sort of physical measures, it's great to, uh, to have them as part of, you know, kids development. And also like back to the point, we obviously we live in a physical world, right? And so the, the, the degree to which you can enhance your capacity to engage in that physical world uh, can, is, is most often going to be beneficial in some capacity. And which is why, like, you know, anyone who's ever done weight training or, you know, worked out or become stronger physically in some sense, like, it's not just like the endorphins you get afterwards. It's not just how your body shape changes. Maybe you're more satisfied with it, but it's like you feel a greater capacity to engage the world, right? Because things are that are heavy are less heavy now, right? Like you can literally right. move move more of the world as a result of what you've how you've trained yourself. And um, you know that might seem like a minor thing to many people, and in the modern world, it it, it probably is minor and insignificant. But it's still like it's it's that thing that we were talking about earlier, it's still sending that signal to you, like that signal of agency and that signal of conforming and integrating to the the truth or the forces of the world, right? And trying to find that that harmony or synthesis between the two. Like there's a, there's a, there's a touch of that there. And that maybe that's the signal that breaks through that makes us feel, that it gives us that added sense of confidence, of, of, of freedom, of capacity. 
Absolutely. I think it, it, and it also, by knowing that you can, if you've done it once, then you know you can probably do it again, right? And so um, you, you take on a challenge that you're not sure you could take on, and then you struggle through that task. And I always do, like, in my family, we do these weird, stu- I don't know, I'm not going to call them stupid because they're just some of the most in- incredible moments in my life. We do these crazy challenges, right? So like uh, a couple of years back, I grew these insane hot peppers, right? It's like ghost peppers, uh, uh, you know, like these, that. I mean, it's, that. It's, <laughs> <laughs> I know right? where you're going with this. I think I'm not. Right? <laughs> so, so I said, I said, Hey guys, uh, family challenge, right? Here's what it is this year. This is, and I get to come up with it because I'm, I'm that asshole. Right. So it's like, <laughs> and you know, I've got like, uh, at this point, what a uh, nine and 10 year old or something like that. I'm like, here's the deal. We're going to play a game. And here's we're gonna we're gonna cover up these peppers. I had ghost peppers, scorpion peppers. I mean, I grew like all the evil peppers that you can grow, right? And I kind of put them all under like little cups, and it's like, all right, we're gonna play a game. And you know, if you want to participate, you participate. If you don't want to, but here's the rules: you got to chew the pepper, you got to chew the whole pepper, you got to swallow it, and you know, you you're, you just gotta sick. you just gotta fucking do it, right? And I was like. <laughs> And you know, it can't kill them. Right. So it's like, they're not going to die. And, you know, like, I know my kids are tough and it's like, let's, let's see if we can do this. And I'm not even sure I can do this. Right. So I'm like, I got a nine, 10 year old kid that are looking at me like, I'm not sure, dude. I'm like, uh, I'm not sure, but I know that we can't die. So let's give it a wet. And they were like on board. Cause it's like, Hey dad, I kind of trust you that like, you know, what's the worst that could happen. Well, the worst that could happen is like, you know, whatever the, I mean, what are you going to do? Extreme pain. Yeah. This is (laughs) going to suck. This is going (laughs) to suck for a minute. Right. Like, let's see what happens. But like, you know, they, they had had some hot pepper. I mixed some of that stuff in some, they're used to spicy food, but I was like, yeah, let's see what happens. And, you know, we, we play our little game and then everybody gets their pepper. And it turns out that like the middle kid gets like the biggest pepper and everybody's looking like, Oh man, you're fucked. Right. But the biggest pepper doesn't mean it's the worst pepper. And okay, three, two, one, go. Boom, everybody in. Chew, 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 chew. You had to chew for like 10 seconds or whatever. Swallow. And then everybody at the tables, everybody's face lights up like, why the fuck did you do this to us, dad? I fucking hate you. But dude, they toughed it out. Like that was the amazing thing about it. I kind of thought like everybody's going to be running around screaming, crying for the milk and all this other whatnot. I was like, they just toughed it out. And it was like, you know, it wasn't exactly the most pleasant thing. Everybody's sitting there. Oh, shit. Oh, oh. It's like the first time I heard my kids swear the first time. You know what I mean? It's like, I know you I know you swear when I'm not around, but like, you know, this kid's like, God damn it, dad, what the fuck? You know? I'm, like, I'm like, you're going to be all right. We sat there, we kind of like cheered each other through it. And then finally it dissipates. But what you get after it is probably the same thing that you get after like a hard workout or like doing anything that's difficult. It's like, you get that almost like euphoria where you go, hey man, I don't give a shit what you throw at me right now. I'm loving mm. life. Right. Yeah. And it's like, whether it's, it's crazy exercise or it's like a physical champ, you know, anything, everything, or like a near death experience. Right. Like, I don't know if you've ever had a near death experience, but like, if you almost die, you feel pretty calm about the world the next day. Mm. So it's like, I've had a few and it's like not fun at the moment that it's happening, but like you go like, Oh, wait a minute. I'm not gonna, <laughs> the, the part where I get eaten by the sharks over. And now I can think about life 
a little differently, but it's like, it's like this euphoric thing. It's like, holy shit, that almost happened. That, that scenario, that could have been it. Right. So it's like, you, yeah. you get a new like appreciation for life. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, it, it puts things into perspective one and two, it makes your baseline like neutral seem way more like positive, right? Like did that, right. like if you're experiencing pain, right? Like if I just do, we're just hanging around chatting and I do something to you that, that hurts you when I stop doing it, that's a relief. You know, even though you're only going back to the place you were whenever prior to me doing whatever I was doing. Right. So it's like, you weren't experiencing that sense of relief prior, but because of the introduction of the pain, because of the introduction of the challenge, going back to neutral is actually incredibly positive. And, you know, I, there's many ways to do that. Eat, chewing uh, super hot peppers is definitely one of them. But, you know, one of the, the things that gets mentioned a lot these days, and I think it's good, is like, because there's so many mental health issues uh, in this generation and so many people, and we have a culture of just like, you know, going to the doctor and of course, another authority figure who've been trained to just say, yes, 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 of course, sir, of course, sir, give me, tell me, tell me the truth. Um, they say, well, you know, take this pill. And so people take this pill. And of course, like now a huge portion of the population is medicated in that way. And all before saying like, well, how's your sleep? And did you do 20 hill sprints, hill sprints in like the hot noon sun today? Before, like, and did you do all these things to right. see if that would help ameliorate, you know, how you were thinking and how you're feeling about things? And of course, 99% of the time, the answer is no, because the easy option was taken as the first option. But you know, th that's what we're talking about, right? Like your modern culture has put us in a situation where the, 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 the formerly unavoidable challenges of life have been made avoidable, right? And so now it's kind of right. like you, you have to intentionally introduce them into your life. And we maybe like they were gotten rid of simply thinking that they were only a negative. Like surely we want to make every single aspect of life more convenient when that I think is the deceit we've, we've, we've failed to appreciate the necessity and the benefit of challenge rather than just seeking to eradicate it entirely. Or instead we've, we've sought to eradicate it entirely. And to the extent that we've been successful in a certain sense, it's been detrimental. And so I, I think there is definitely a, a resurgence happening now of appreciation for that. And there's all sorts of different uh, people talking about it and it's starting to emerge again in the culture. And I think it's great because like, again, we are witnessing uh, the, the detrimental effects of that process having taken place. And now there's like a course correction happening as far as I can tell, like people, you know, these conversations are happening and people are realizing like, oh shit, like, no, we went way too far in that direction. We got to bring it back. And, you know, we're not going to go back in, in certain technological senses, but we can certainly be more thoughtful about like how we piece together the constituents that foster like a strong character and a meaningful life. And that seems to be what we're doing when we have these conversations and all the other ones that are happening out in the culture. And like, yeah, that's a very important conversation to have. And it's a very important experimentation to conduct on an individual level. Cause you know, like you can be, you can gain information and like, you know, potentials outside of yourself, but the, the only one who can determine it is for you, you know? So it's not going to be because I said, you know, combat sports are good, or you said the chew and chilies is good or whatever. Like maybe you should try them. It doesn't necessarily, it's going to, doesn't necessarily mean it's going to work for you. But the, the punchline is, is like, you've got to find a way 
to introduce them in something into your life that's going to deliver that same effect, lest you just become, you know, complacent or nihilistic or numb or apathetic or all those, you know, sorts of uh, mindsets or conditions that, that beset uh, so many people in modern life. Absolutely. It's like, it's like, a, what is it? The fear is the mind killer, that sort of thing. Yeah. And like yeah. so many, you can be afraid of, you know, uh, like, okay. So when, when the kids are little, it's like, Oh, you got, you have to get a shot, right? It's like you're little and I don't want you to die from tetanus. So, you know, at least, on, at least on this level, like you're going to have to take this one. Right. It's like, but there's a way to go about that. Right. And like, you can say, Hey, little, Hey, little guy, uh, it's going to hurt for a second, but don't worry. I got your back. And when you're done, we're good to go. And we'll just, we'll get out of here and we'll, we'll move on with life. Right. It's like, this is going to suck for a second, but you'll be okay. Uh, as opposed to what a lot of kids and I've got family that works in healthcare. You've got kids that are so afraid to engage with, you know, even if they need a blood draw or whatever it is, they don't want to put on the, the, the blood pressure cuff, right? They're like, I'm afraid I'm scared. And then you have a parent sitting there going, it's okay to be afraid. We don't have to do this right now. Like we can come back another day. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about lady? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like it's a blood pressure cuff. Like I, I'm not telling anybody how to run their medical life, but I, I mean, if you've got your, if you've got your kids so racked up about some nonsense, like a blood pressure cuff or like, Hey man, this is going to be uncomfortable for a half a second, but you're going to be okay. If your kid's that messed up about something that simple, like the world is going to eat them alive. Yeah. And then when you have a good majority, I don't even know if I want to say a good majority, but when you've got a lot of kids that are that soft, you have, then you have a lot, they grow up to be adults that are that soft. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. my kids are not picky eaters because I was like, here's your food. When you finish this food, then there'll be dessert. Right. And it's like, great. So I got to eat this thing. I don't want to eat. And then I'll eat it and then I'll get dessert. And it turns out that after like doing that a few times, they kind of like the thing you gave them. Right. And again, you learn, right? You're like, uh, okay, you, you, you like this, but you kids fucking hate turnips. All right. I've tried it three times. It's not happening. I don't even like turnips. We all gave it a good whack. Sorry. It's not happening. Sorry. Turnip. It's just not for you. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> but you know, you got to try it and I'll sit there and I'll shovel that shit in my face too. And be like, yeah, you know what? I agree. This sucks. But like we tried, right? Like right. I'll suffer through it with you and then we'll get through this. And then like, you know, we can at least say that's a definitely like, I don't like that shit. But, you know, my kids went outside today, harvested apples, stopped at the green beans, ate a bunch of green beans raw. You know, they eat all kinds of, I don't even know what the, you know, half the shit they eat out there. It's like, they come back and it's like, your belly is full. What did you eat? And like, we were out in the garden, just eating everything. It's like, great. Make them. Awesome. make them appreciate the food stuff. Right. But like, if nobody said like, Hey, this is, this is a cucumber. This is a green bean. This is a squash. This is a tomato. Right. One of my kids loves tomatoes. The other one, not so much, but if you never put it in front of them and say, Hey, give it a shot. How are they going to know? Mm -hmm. Right. It's the same thing with everything else in life. It's like, if you don't try it, if, if nobody encourages you to try a new thing or to suffer through a thing that you don't necessarily want to have to do, but it's quite frankly, for your own good, you know, where are you when you're 30 years old? You're like, you're afraid. You're afraid to go places. You're afraid to do things. I see. I saw an adult woman wearing a gas mask in a fucking 
Ford Escort, whatever the hell that thing, you know what I mean? Like with the windows rolled, there was no one else in the car. And I'm like, what are you doing? It's like, you're the only person in the car. And like every, I mean, it's like the middle of the summer, everything's rolled up. It's just like a gas mask, not like, yeah, you know, she's wearing a full on respirator. And I'm like, who told you you were that weak? You know what I mean? Like you're tougher yeah. than this lady. You got to get your shit together. And it's like, you've got people like falling off the rails all over the place. And yeah, well, me, this is why. Maddening. But sure. they never they never bumped up against a hard edge in their life. And then you go like, oh, that's why you're here. Yeah, exactly. And and I think that's why we're here as a culture, right? That's like something like the last two years can even happen. It's not because like all the reasons that, that you know, the, the mainstream would have you believe. It's like, you know, it's just this circumstance encountering a, an extremely soft, fearful, popular, you know, uninformed, immature, <laughs> many other pejoratives perhaps population mm -hmm. you know as a result of these themes that we've been discussing you know coming together and being being the forces that have molded the generation of people that's around today and i and so like a lot of the crazy shit we see in the world is is because of that and uh you know i think what we've been discussing is that bitcoin and permaculture and homeschooling and stuff is is our forces and our, our responses to that effectively are, are saying like, oh, like the money has gone off the rails. The education's gone off the rails. The food's gone off the rails. The personal development's gone off the rails. What are the things that have to be done to bring it back into alignment, right? To bring it back into integration with more net, like natural or fundamental principles. And I think that's what's happening. And it's so cool to see because, you know, for a while uh, prior to all this, like I, I was in a position where like, I didn't see how that, would be turned around. I didn't, I didn't see how it really could be, you know, there was bright spots and stuff, of course, but I didn't see how on mass it could get turned around. And, and, and now I do, and it's, you know, it's incredibly exciting. And, um, I'm, I'm just thinking now, I, I, I do want to have that, um, psychedelic discussion with you, but my brain's kind of turning to mush now. So maybe <laughs> we, we, we put a pin in this one and, sure. uh, we'll fire it up again. I'll, we'll sort it out, but maybe in like two or three weeks we'll, uh, We'll do another one because I feel like we're probably going to spend a little time on, on that subject, and I, I don't want to rush through it. So, um, let's uh, let's shut it down today. I man, this has been super fun. I really appreciate you taking the time and being so open about sharing your experiences. I think it's awesome. Basically, you know, the life you're leading, you know, what you're doing with the the farm and how you're raising your kids and your perspective on things is super refreshing and. Uh, and inspiring to hear. So I, I appreciate the time and the conversation. I certainly do as well. It was funny when uh, you would, you would put out a post something like anybody want to talk shit about some shit. And I was like, <laughs> you know, like, you know what? Like, I'm not normally that person. I'm not normally like that. I'll reach out and I'll try to, I, I don't like to necessarily throw myself out there because I kind of try to keep things private, but right. um, you know, at some point or another, you kind of have to say, well, maybe I'm sitting on something that somebody else needs to hear or maybe wants to hear, right? And like a lot of these things, even in this this conversation, I put some stuff together in my own life where I'm like, oh shit, that, that relates to that and that relates to that and that relates to that. Well, maybe there's more people out there that are doing that exact thing, right? They're seeing the way the world goes and they go, huh, I can I can do this other thing. I can do what I can do what everybody else is doing, or I can try something else. And if anything that we discussed today helped to maybe motivate or, you know, get somebody thinking about, hey, well, you know, who says I have to do it that way? 
Mm. Fuck it. I'm going to do it my own way. Do it. Go out there, try that shit, see what happens. And if you fail, pick your ass up, get out there and try it again tomorrow. And then, you know, take it from there. Right. And so I appreciate your time. And uh, I certainly thank you for all of this. It was awesome. That was a very quick three hour. Holy shit. Three hours, really? <laughs> Well, I think the next the next time I uh, do a tweet out like that, I'm going to use your your terminology and and just tweet. Does anybody want to talk some shit about some shit? And we'll see what kind of <laughs> responses I get back. But uh, yeah, man, I'm I'm sure that a lot of people are going to appreciate uh, this the perspective that you've shared in this conversation. So um, thanks again, and I'll hit you up after this, and we'll sort out uh, a round two because I I definitely want to continue the conversation. Awesome. All right, I, I appreciate it, John. All right, brother. Take care. Take care. Yeah. Bye.